Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking about the Sundance Film Festival. Am I supposed to, am I, am I saying something right now? Yeah, that's, that's how we do this. It's been a while. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. Okay. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! We're back. You're you're back! I'm back, back from the past. Abe, I'm going to hang on a level with you. It's been a rough couple of weeks. Has it been? Yeah, Mark Hoban was crying. <laughs> uh, Maxwell was sobbing. Everyone oh, was missing. man. That's... I just... I mean, I can't believe that they, they cried that much over La La Land. They're... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of yeah. which, I just watched the uh, the SNL La La Land with Aziz Ansari. It was actually really funny, the skit where he's being interrogated about it. Anyway. About not liking La La Land. Yeah, about not liking La La Land. Well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Out Now is a film podcast where Amy and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some very various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other fun movie topics. Uh, but we're, we're doing something different today. We don't have – I mean – Abe, I, I know you were you you rushed back to America from your trip because you wanted to talk about Rings. I, I cut uh, it short and I was like, I gotta go see Rings when it premieres. And, you're, uh, you you texted me and you're like, what? It wasn't delayed a fifth time. I need to go see Rings apparently because that's what we want to talk about on the podcast. But uh, no, we're not we're not gonna do that. Um, we're not gonna talk about any of the new releases this week mainly because I don't care too much to just like last week. And uh, we figured, why not instead? Get some of our good podcast friends on the show to talk about their trips to Sun- the Sundance Film Festival. That's right, yeah. Uh, and because we're recording on a very special Sunday, I've decided to name this episode Super Sundance Sunday, obviously. And um, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna do mostly a regular show, but instead of a new movie review, we're gonna do I guess several movie reviews and whatnot because right. we're gonna talk about the Sundance Film Festival with our guests and joining me and Abe. Abe and I today. Yeah, thank you. For you grammar Nazis out there. <laughs> Maybe not today. We have uh, from Battleship Retention, he's got all the strength of a Popeye. It's David Bax. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm bummed I don't get to talk about the space between us. Oh uh, you will we'll get to that. You can. <laughs> don't worry. We'll get there. We've got a segment for that. We'll have some mini reviews for that, for sure. <laughs> okay. Also joining us from firstshowing.net. Er ging von der Kalte in Deutschland in die Kalte, die bei Sundance und zurück. It's Alex Billington. Hello. That was very good, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. I all of a sudden want to go to Germany. I feel yeah. like I should translate that, but I'm not going to. I'll let the listeners do that for themselves. <laughs> uh, I did say the words Deutschland and Sundance, so I feel like you can kind of get maybe a sense of what I was doing. But yes, Alex Billington, you are once again back with us from Germany. Pumping up our international cred once again on this podcast. So that's uh, <laughs> happy to do so. Yeah. Um, and David, uh, this I think is your first time back on the podcast since I believe our 200th episode, where you talked about um, not Ant Man, Trainwreck. We did because we did Trainwreck and Ant Man like oh, the same right. episode. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was a while ago. Wow. We're almost at 300. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah have you guys ever had me on? I guess this is Sundance. The first time you have me on to talk about a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> We, we didn't want to talk about um, uh, the world's end. That was the that was another. Oh one. yeah, that was yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Which, if anything, I think has grown on me over time. I think I like it more now than when I initially watched it. Hmm. I love the movie, no, but it's a it's a bummer. It, it, well, yes, it, it's 
it's quote unquote darker than I guess the 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 other Cornetto yeah. trilogy films, <laughs> one of which includes the zombie apocalypse. But sure. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, glad to have you guys both on here, and uh, should be excited to talk about Sundance. I always like trying to get guests that have actually been able to go there to talk about plenty of uh, smaller movies that we may hear more about later on in the year, or just may never hear about again. Right. <laughs> yeah. But before we get into all that, let's get to some show note stuff real quick. Uh, let's see. Um, Abe is back. I'm back. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. It's he's not a robot. We actually have Abe here. Um, <laughs> I mentioned this last week, but this was a fun commentary. I was happy to record with the other guys. But our Event Horizon commentary is now up on iTunes. So uh, if you're a fan of Event Horizon, which I'd like to think you are, <laughs> then um, even if you're not, it's still a fun uh, commentary to check out with uh, myself, Brandon, Scott, and Jordan. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, let's see what else iTunes reviews and ratings it's good to get those it helps out our show it helps other people find our show if you want to log on to iTunes search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe you can find us pretty easily you can give us a star rating of some kind and you can even write us a little review that, uh, that'd be all be great yeah it would be great thank you alright let's uh, let's get to some know everybody where each week we ask each other a question or two try to set the tone for the podcast I better get to know everybody no. I like that that was good that was good I have a question, mm-hmm. and it's almost directed at one person in particular, but here it is. What's your favorite thing about Earth? <laughs> uh, Aaron, Aaron, you are. Oh, <laughs> how sweet. <laughs> I, I have, have to say favorite oxygen. thing about Earth? Yeah, oxygen. Oxygen? That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Life. No, you know, you know, I'll be, I'll be the, I'll give you the really cheesy answer and say there's so much diversity in what's around us. Like you can go to a snowy place, you can go to the desert, you can go to the mountains, you can go to the plains. It's awesome. You're describing California, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that it's a huge planet with so much cool shit all over it. That is true. There's so much to see. I was gonna say clouds. What kind of? What kind, do you have a special kind of cloud that you have in mind? Well, it's fun to say cumulonimbus. I mean, who doesn't say that? That's great. That's a great word. That was uh, that was in, in up. My favorite word. <laughs> but there we go. Okay, that's go. a good <laughs> question. We'll get back to why that's a question later on. Abe, do you have a question? I don't have a question. I really you said that as if there was a comma, but no. <laughs> still work. Still coming back from your secret mission. I got it. That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good. Short and sweet, then. That's how you play. No, everybody. No, everybody. All right. Let's move on now. Let's get down to quickies. Tim? Each week on out now, we have one movie of the week that we talk about. Tim? I ramped up in that one. That's that was good. Yeah. It felt, it felt a few milliseconds shorter than other versions. We've, uh, we've, got, we've, we've talked about it a bit already. Let's get to this. David, what have you seen this week? <laughs> you mean what have I seen that's that's coming out this week? What other what other uh, yeah? Or that's what, out this weekend? Yeah. Well, yeah. As yeah, as you know, um, because we in, endured it together, we what uh, we both saw the space between us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's it's not uh, it's not good. I don't know. I don't know how much you want me to go into uh, about it, but it's it's you know it's it's the kind of movie where um, when. Uh, the hero uh, or, or or the uh, I guess the mentor character, the Gary Oldman character, has to uh, take uh, e- extreme uh, measures um, 
to 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 save the the guy's life uh, uh, a featured extra says but it's against every regulation <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of movie that we're that we're talking about uh, it, yeah for for those who aren't aware, because the movie opened in ninth place with three million dollars this weekend at the box office, um, this is the film where Hugo himself, Asa Butterfield, <laughs> is a child who was born on Mars because the astronaut leading the mission to Mars would apparently became pregnant right before takeoff. It, it happens, and um, <laughs> you know who wouldn't have let that happen? Tom Hanks in Apollo thirteen. Oh yeah, they'd say you'd have measles. Exactly. Off you'd be like, right I, away. I made the call. Can't yeah. go. Well, yes, the, the, he's born on Mars, and because his, you know, it'd be difficult for him to endure a journey back to Earth, let alone survive. He just grows up on Mars. So 16 years later, he's an adolescent. Yeah, he, you know, he he's still on Mars. He's he's used to that. So they bring him to Earth for whatever reason. Um, and be, but but Earth's gravity is it's too much for him. So he's, he can't survive in Earth's atmosphere. But he's and had a his secret... heart's too big. His heart's too big, yes. It's hard. Metaphorically and, and, and... Yes, metaphorically physically. and physically, his heart's too big. That's the problem. <laughs> but but he's had a secret pen pal in, on Earth, played by Tomorrowland's Britt Robertson. And so it's like, well, I gotta go meet her. I, even if my heart's too big, I gotta go meet her. And then we have to go on a road trip to find biological father. <laughs> that just makes sense. And and then much much drama ensues. I'm surprised this isn't based off a book. For one thing, I'm surprised there's it's no why. It's, origi- it's an original idea. It's original idea from the writer of Collateral Beauty, the much acclaimed Collateral Makes Beauty. Makes sense. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a good movie. Is, <laughs> like there, any, is saying, there any redeeming effort in it? Like a good cinematography or a good score or maybe <laughs> maybe some standout actor character actor. I mean, for like for a, a fairly mod because. STX Entertainment, which is like oh, they yes. kind of like they, they take like mo- moderate budgets matched with like high concept movies for most and like adult skewing dramas kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so for like a thirty million dollar movie, I guess it looks fine given that there's a lot of space stuff. But yeah, it's it is very melodramatic. Um, the acting very much like David you're saying has a lot of kind of pronounced statements, and Gary Oldman's like yelling a lot of his dialogue, and there's <laughs> various instances of slow motion to emphasize things instead of you know having deep conversations or anything that and there's a lot of weird there's a lot of ideas they just don't do anything with such as the idea of a character being born on mars and what a pr nightmare that would be they just you don't do anything they don't do anything with it like that sound that sounds interesting to me like that's part of what made the martian very entertaining wait does he live on mars by himself (laughs) that'd be a movie no he doesn't live on mars by himself okay all right all right no because i was like we're not mars no i was thinking from from how you from how you and david were describing it it's like oh he was they gave birth to him on mars and then and everybody left gary oldman's character plays like an elon musk type figure Uh who's like and he's like and he's he's led this whole thing where they're create they create like a whole colony on mars essentially so there's humans on mars gotcha yes they have a whole team of people on there and it's like called east texas because why not um (laughs) yeah the the plate the base on mars is called east texas um (laughs) and yeah there's a population of people on mars including him and he's the one that was born there i see okay Anyway, this movie's not good. Like, okay, all right. it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> we, can leave, we can leave it at that. Right. Let's, move, let's move on. Alex, have you seen any other recent movies? Um, yeah, I watched. Well, I'm gonna mention two of them because I watched two of them on my overseas flight. Sure. Um, 
I had not seen either of them, and I wanted to check them out. I watched Denial, the Rachel Weiss one, where she like fights a Holocaust denial. Denier. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Turner himself, Timothy Spall. Yeah, yeah, it was it was solid. It was um, it was exactly what I expected, and I, to be honest, was not impressed by Rachel Weisz's performance. Like she's good, but she wasn't outstanding. Um, and it's just like a solid film where you just watch her just like le- legally, as in in the court of law, kick this Holocaust denier's ass like a hundred different ways, puts him to shame. So it's a really good movie for the time where you're like oh, all these idiots around us, and then you watch this and you're like, oh look, someone can actually. Do them right. Make them feel bad about themselves. Spall's pretty good in that movie. I thought he was a... As, you know, yeah, I know. He's great. He's great. Essentially. Well, I know. That's, that, that's an interesting role to take on. Is like, you're the sh- really shitty guy, and you have to do a good job playing that guy. But he did good. Uh, hmm. And the other film I saw was uh, Deepwater Horizon. Oh, oh um, okay. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it yet. And, like, who was it? You know, I think it was Moonlight director Barry Jenkins went on this, like, tweet storm last year about how it's, like, the movie of 2016. Um, I didn't I notice, but that. okay. No, he, he it was like, ten tweets in a row where he's like, this movie is amazing, and I'm like, Barry Jenkins of Moonlight saying Deepwater Horizon. <laughs> so um, I was like, I finally got to see this. And, of course, like... Barry, Barry Jenkins is known for his love of Hancock and the rundown, so, I mean, it's not surprising. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I couldn't appreciate, obviously, the sound effects, which are... Some people are say probably going to win the Oscar because it's like, you know, I'm listening on a freaking airplane and the <laughs> audio quality is crap. But um, I, I actually liked it more than I was expecting the whole movie just because I maybe I wasn't expecting much. And I was also worried that it was just going to be like pure heroism, which um, it's like if I'm only in the right mood, will I enjoy that? But it was actually like they did a good job balancing the ensemble of everyone. Like There's a bunch of characters you follow. Um, and it worked. I will say that's nothing more than a heroism story. Like, it literally just, they just get off and then it just ends. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and that's it. <laughs> so it was really good. It was good. I like both of these movies. Uh, I also somewhat recently watched Deepwater Horizon, meaning I, even though it came out before Patriot's Day, I saw it after after I saw Patriot's Day. And I, I hated Patriot's Day so much. It's one of my least favorite movies of 2016 that I think I might have. I might have liked Deepwater Horizon quite a just by virtue of it not being Patriot's Day <laughs> and not making some of the same uh, just dumb boneheaded mistakes that I think Patriot's Day makes. Hmm. So I, you did I, Deepwater Horizon. Deepwater Horizon, yeah, he did. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I've, Abe, you know this. I'm a fan of Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, I think you, it, you've been uh, shouting I, it out. Uh, I've tried all to last year. it because I, I yeah. think it sorely went under, underrated and underseen. Uh, didn't, didn't help that it cost like way too much money, but at the same time, that money went somewhere because the effects in that movie are really good. Like yeah. the, yeah. they had to create a whole you know rig gradually out of nothing. Like they built like kind of basic setups and whatnot. And I've I've since reviewed the Blu-ray, so I have a very very in-depth look of what this, what it took to make this movie come to life. And like you're saying, Alex, the sound is certainly. I mean, you didn't you would not get to nearly hear as much of how great the sound quality is on an airplane compared to yeah. the 7.1 track that I got on Blu-ray, let alone the theater experience. Like it, <laughs> it, it's a great mix of sound and uh, you know, kind of visual ambition as far as creating that kind of thing. As I said, it's my favorite Kurt Russell fights fire movie. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> But no, he think, played yeah. his father in Backdraft. It, uh, the, you know, yeah, it it balances that heroism, I think, well with the just the kind of what happened here kind of thing, but focused on these yeah. people, mm-hmm. um, where it doesn't quite overdo it in that 
to that degree, but it's still like it's it's entertaining enough. And I, I thought it was just I think I think it's a really solid film. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Like, but you know, like you're saying, yeah, it is. It's nothing more than what it is as far as what it's trying to do. But what it does is just present a, you know, a, do- a docudrama essentially that happens to be a disaster movie. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, by comparison, in terms of an anti-oil movie, I like In the Heart of the Sea more. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a huge anti-oil movie, and where this is just like a subtle anti-oil movie. I'm like, I I kind of wanted more of the anti-oil, but yeah. Oh man, I forgot about that movie until you mentioned it right now. Well, my problem, my problem with In the Heart of the Sea is it doesn't do enough with what it has so it just kind of feels like yeah. it's running in circles for a while despite how good the movie looks yeah that's uh, true because it's a good and i've seen it comes on hbo like quite a bit recently and i've been seeing like and it um just the the visuals of seeing that so, like it look actually david i know you're a big fan of mr turner as am i it yeah. a lot of the a lot of the shots in that movie look like turner paintings just like the oceans mm-hmm. and just the ships within them the oil the, yeah the the, the whale the whaling ships and what have you like it just looks yeah. like really cool oil paintings for a lot but i just wish there was more story to go with it because that story is really intriguing like a bunch of people go out to fight you know find whales and end up, end up having to eat each other because of disasters like that's crazy like, and i don't know why the movie's not more exciting like, <laughs> but it's not <laughs> um can i mention uh can i mention one more thing i saw this week i, sure. I, I almost we got it it um the, this movie's a couple years. It's a couple years old in the UK, but it's coming out here in the US. Um, I think next month, um, and it's a little documentary called My Scientology Movie. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I, I didn't have very high uh, expectations uh, for it, um, but it's actually it's a it's a really interesting and and definitely worth worth watching. Whereas whereas like uh, I know I'm sure we uh, you know people saw Going Clear, mm-hmm. which is sort of the definitive organization of you know, and just sort of journalistic presentation of here's the information about uh, Scientology. But um, my Scientology movie is more uh, like psychologically interested in like sort of interviewing uh, the people who have left the church and, and, you know, getting them into the headspace of, you know, why, not only why would you join, but why would you stay for so long? Um, but what, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm glossing over here is the, the real hook of the movie is, is that it's, it's the, it's the act of killing of Scientology movies in which it had, it has all, like, it takes the same sort of uh, approach where it, it like casts people and has these uh, recreations. So you've got this actor who's playing David Miscavige. So mm-hmm. both like the actor is a character in the documentary. And then also there are scenes where he's just playing David Miscavige. Um, and it's, so it's a surprisingly funny, um, an interesting movie that I, uh, I have, like I said, I have almost no expectations for, but I think it's worth uh, uh, putting on your radar. Just like all this, just like all the side-splitting humor from the act of killing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that coming to the um, states? Getting a release? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw a press screening, and I think um, uh, I'm sure I can find the release date. Here. So, so it's coming soon, then. It's uh, it's, yeah. on, it's, it's on its way. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Abe coming out March 10th. Okay. March 3rd. Abe, have yes. you seen any other movies recently? I did. Also on my flight, uh, I was able to catch uh, Queen of Cotway, which I thought was a good movie. Uh, although there were some elements that I, I hope that they had explored more, uh, which was when she starts getting more exposure to other parts of the world and she becomes a little bit more uh, withdrawn from her daily life at home. Uh, they kind of glossed over, I guess, how that could have uh, been explored but otherwise i thought it was actually a pretty good movie uh, i think everybody had really strong performances uh, in it 
Um, I'm talking about all the actors. And then, you know, the the ending was kind of a, a really sweet way to show who the real characters were and also uh, show them with the actors that portrayed them. And, and in that regard, the casting was also very good. But uh, the other movie I saw was Storks, and I hadn't seen that. <laughs> yep. And Storks is just silly, and I, I I loved it for being just silly. It's ridiculous in in that it didn't really uh, care, like, what animals could really do. They just did whatever they wanted to. and Or, or the logic behind, where do these babies come from? And, and why do people, like... Yeah, the, the whole entire mythology of storks delivering babies is, is really okay with everybody, and, and with humans and, and storks. And, yeah, where do these babies actually come from? I guess they just come from, like, magic fairy dust and uh, baby powder. But what I really liked about it is, again, it's so random, and they just really went all out with it. And uh, uh, I think the animated movies should be like that. So um, great voice acting, too. And I also really like the, the the line that I liked a lot is also in the trailer, but it's um, Orphan Tulip. And it's like, well, Orphan hurts my heart. So uh, it was a good movie, though. It was fun. I, I believe I, I, I announced Storks as my favorite mediocre animated movie of last <laughs> is year. That, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We're on I the same page. Peel stuff Key and Peel stuff as the wolves. That yeah, was, the wolves, was... which was just ridiculous, and they could become a submarine, but then they can't fly. So uh, yeah. it was funny. It has its highlights. It but, does. Uh, it's yeah. Just, yeah, like that stupid bro pigeon. That's like, oh, did you catch the game last night? And it's like, wait a minute, there was no game last night. It's like, oh, what is going on here? Because there's no real purpose to their uh, jokes. It's just. Random, ridiculous jokes, which, uh, again, I appreciated. So, Queen of Katwe and Storks. Is, uh... <laughs> yeah. uh, every other movie I had seen. So Okay. Yeah. I've seen a couple things, some things I won't be able to talk about for Uh-oh. a week or two. Uh, but I will talk about two things. Uh, one is My Life as a Zucchini. Oh, uh, yeah. This I is, love this movie, yeah. This is, yeah, there are, uh, there's, you know, the five Oscar-nominated animated films, and I've seen all four of them except for this one until now, because Anna and I had a chance to watch uh, this one. Um, this is a, it is a uh, French stop animated feature, and it is about <laughs> orphans, essentially. <Right. laughs> um, it's, it's about, it's about a kid who likes to be called Zucchini, who is taken to, uh, is it an orphanage or just like a... Like a, just a, like a center for, like a home for for kids without parents, essentially. Regardless, that uh, is an orphanage. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like there's another way to say that, but okay, good. <laughs> but, okay. okay, fine. It's a, he's he's an orphan among other orphans, and he's basically dealing with that. You know, you know, it's a new style of living for him. He deals with the other kids that are there. Eventually, another another. Uh, they're all like you know like eight or eight or seven or seven eight nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, another girl orphan gets there eventually, and they kind of form a relationship. And it's basically yeah, just a kind of a a, a look at this life that that he has, and it's it has its comedy, it has its drama in it. It's well done as far as a, a stop animated feature. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the one that should win the Oscar, given how strong the competition for animated films is this year. Right. Uh, but certainly quite good. It's certainly I, I'm happy that it, you know it's it's being there represented among the other you know big ones that are also there, along with you know the Red Turtle, which I also really like. I mean, it's just a really strong category itself. But um, this is when my life is zucchini. Quite good. And um, hmm. we watched it in the. It has a new dub dub track. Um, 
I do, you know, and Anna was saying this as well, I, I, it would be nice to hear, you know, the original French language track, but you have uh, what Nick Offerman, Will Forte, uh, Amy Sedaris, a number of other people that are all providing the, like, the voices, and it it sings well enough, but you can't, like, kind of, you can see kind of the, as a French film, you can just, the way it looks and kind of the, the style and how things are presented, you can see how, you know, it obviously is a French film, and it'd be nice to kind of hear it in that original language, but... Uh, that's how I saw it. It's much better. <laughs> I'd imagine, yeah. Because um, he's also called Courgette mm-hmm. in French, and it's so much cuter than Zucchini. You're like, oh, little Courgette, and you're like, oh, he's so cute. This big man. Honestly, <laughs> saying Foster Home would be a problem. I guess a uh, proper okay. <laughs> I knew there was another way to say this. <laughs> okay. Um, also, in addition to that, uh, we were able to watch uh, two out of three short film categories. We watched all the animated short film nominees and the live action short film nominees. Oh, cool. Um, and as usual, uh, there are certainly highlights and lowlights uh, in there. I think the, in the, as far as the as far as the animated films go, um, there's a, I mean, there's the what the Pixar one Piper, which anyone that's uh, Finding Dory, which is apparently most people since it's you know, the, the, one of the biggest films of last year. Uh, that one's up for it. Um, but there's a couple um that I really enjoyed um, when there's a couple I really enjoyed in there. Um, one involving a, that's shot like entirely from the perspective of a car with this uh, father and his daughter and another one involving um, Pearl. Yeah. Uh, another one involving a, uh, I guess it's set in the cowboy days. Um, but this, this old, this man who is reflecting on a horrible tragedy that happened in his past. Um, yeah. Borrowed time. That's great... time, yes. And oh, there's, um... yeah. That one was very deep. Uh, and there's there's a really long one like called Peach Cider and Cigarettes. It's like 34 minutes, um, which is okay. It's just like okay, this is it was it was the weakest among the the five mm. presented. But there's another one called Vaisha's Blindness, um, which I, I thought was quite interesting. It's too weird, I think, for the Academy to vote like as a winner. I wouldn't necessarily think it's the best one, but it certainly it's neat to see the kind of the different sorts that are coming all through all through this. Um, as far as the live action ones go. Um, some feel more like I tend to see this with the live action shorts where some t- tend to feel very Oscar Beatty um, where it's like they they only have so much, you know, it's a short film. So they only have so much time to communicate a whole story right. and whatnot. But like it, the amount of drama that occurs within them, it just, it it feels like it's stacking the deck as far as showing like so many things happen with so little time. Um, Is there a good that, lighthearted one? There, the, uh, yeah, I think the, the last one was a good lighthearted one. Okay. Um, involving uh, dance <laughs> we'll just say that um, um yeah no it, they're, they're, it's always neat to watch these um and those it, it's you know good i am happy to recommend them because you know it's it's good to catch up on those along the, with the other you know big films that you've likely seen um, yeah so that's the, I, uh, uh, I, yeah uh i I, ha- I haven't watched these the the no- the nominees yet but um i was uh really shocked and dismayed to find that uh Thunder Road wasn't nominated for live action short. I don't know if you guys caught Thunder Road at all uh, uh, this year, but it's uh, it's incredible. I haven't seen it, uh, but <laughs> yeah, what, it's it's all it's it's all one. Uh, it's it's about I think like twelve minutes long, and it's all one shot, and it's just a uh, guy giving a, a eulogy at his mother's funeral. But um, it's also like it's I saw that somehow. One. It, yeah, it, it's funnier than that sounds, and somehow also even sadder than that yeah, sounds it's at the actually, same time. Yeah, it's actually, right, it's it's like uh, hilariously depressing. 
Um, yeah. And you can yeah. watch it on Vimeo. Um, and it's, okay. Yeah, I think it's like a, what, like a nine-minute video or something like that? Maybe I, I, I think it's like 12 minutes. 12 minutes, I okay. Think, yeah. I want to say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'm going to watch this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Abe, I hope you use hilariously depressing as a standard rating for, for most films that it, you see. It's only for that and Baskets. <laughs> that's the only time I'll ever use hilariously depressing. <laughs> baskets is a good, yeah, that's a good one to use yeah, it for. Yeah, that's how I describe Baskets to people. All right. Uh, that was on a quickie. Yeah. So let's move into uh, Sundance chatter, guys. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the experience of Sundance this year. And um, I guess so... So you were both at the Sundance Film Festival. How should we start this? Um, Just generally, I guess. Uh, you know. Yeah. Is for, so you guys have you both you've both been multiple times to Sundance, right? Uh, yeah. This was only my second. Yeah. Okay, here's your second time. Alex, you've been a number of times, right? Uh, yeah, this was my eleventh time. Eleven. Okay. Oh. Um, so I, I guess to, to go with each of you, uh, one who's you know more of a veteran of Sundance, one who's still you know somewhat new to the experience. Would overall, would you say would I'll go with Alex first. Would you say this did this year have a, a strong set of films compared to other years or or not? Man, this was literally the debate between me and some of my friends for like three days during the festival. They were like, oh, it's such a terrible year. Um, there was a point at which it turned into a good year because there were like three or four films I saw that were fantastic. The problem is that everyone gets into seeing them and they start being like, well, this was good, but it wasn't great. And then it's like if everything was good but not great, it wasn't a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I guess even if you look at last year, it's like you have Manchester by the Sea came out of Sundance. There's a couple of strong films that have lasted all year that came out of Sundance last year. And some of my friends were saying, oh, well, there are none of these out of Sundance this year. I disagree. There are at least two or three, maybe four of them that will last the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in general, yeah, I, I had a great year. I saw a lot of great films. Um, and if it weren't for these two or three I saw that I was blown away by, maybe I would feel different. But there's, like, these two or three that are holding up everything else in terms of, like, everything was good, but these two or three were, like, amazing, blown away kind of films that I really loved. Um, and I'll get into them, but just answering your question, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, – it's not, it's not, like, the most memorable year ever. It's not going to be, you know, something where people say, oh, how do we live up to this next year? But it was a good year. All right, David, how about uh, you? Did you uh, enjoy the year uh, this year well, in Sundance? Uh, uh, like I said, I only had last year to compare it to, and, and like Alex said, last year was uh, really great. There was, uh, you know, it seemed like I just kept seeing great movie after great movie uh, last year, and I had a, a similar experience to Alex this year where, um, uh, yeah, for the first couple days I was there, I was like, this is kind of a, a bummer, um, but then I started to see more and more stuff, and I think there are um, uh, a handful of really great movies, and, and there are some that are supposed to be really great that I uh, that I didn't see. Um, and there's at least one movie that I saw that I would uh, consider a, a truly great, like maybe a masterpiece type of, oh, wow. type of movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that was and it was the last thing I saw before I headed back to the you know take the shuttle to the airport. So it was a uh, so Sundance this year for me. Um, I was only there for five days, but um, yeah, started a little a little wobbly, um, but ended strong and i was also just glad to survive the non-stop blizzard <laughs> yeah here was a snowier year at sundance than normal like it, it was the, the weather was a bit more intense this year as far as the snow goes well i think um what's his name john cooper the sun the director of the festival said it was like the worst weather in 25 years um 
So, uh, uh, yeah, my my limited uh, experience is apparently um, not, you know, I'm not biased. It really it really was uh, terribly uh, snowy. Uh, you Did know, you have what's that? Did you have boots? Oh yeah, yeah. I got my I got my Tims, um, <laughs> and uh, and and they 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 kept me dry. But um, yeah, I think I showed up for um, the screening of. Uh, uh, well, I left a screening of the Polka King, and I needed to make it to a press screening of Call Me by Your Name, and no buses were coming. So I was like, I know I can walk this. I did it last year, um, but I walked like I was. It was like. This was like some the Revenant shit. Like it was like <laughs> you killed a horse on the way and you slept in it. You got back up and yeah. you kept going. <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna, I'm on the sidewalk, but it, at, at a certain point, like visibility was like a foot and a half. I couldn't even see the road. Oh wow! Uh, all I could, I was just looking down to make sure I was stepping in the footsteps that were on the path, even though they were already filling in with snow. And I think I showed up for the Call Me by Your Name screening. Looking like Jeff Nicholson at the end of The Shining, just like <laughs> completely like snowy beard, full mucus um, out and everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frozen snot. I have a question for you guys about your strategy for Sundance. Do you guys go in with I'm gonna, the approach of I'm going to watch as much as I can every day, or is it okay? Well, there's a few films that I really want to get by, and then I'll kind of just go to some uh, relaxing things uh, during the other t- uh, parts of my day. It's kind of a mix of both for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I go in with the notion of there's a couple I want to see because I've heard about them or, you know, there's just something about them I want to see. And then a lot of it is like, for me, it's also a mix of hearing what happens every day. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the buzz on this? How do I feel today? Um, like halfway through the festival for me, it's I start to determine like, oh, okay, well, maybe I can see less today, see this tomorrow and just figure it out. It's not like everything is set in advance. I do try to see as much as I can because I want to see a lot. And a lot of it also changes where halfway through you hear like, oh, you have to go see this film. Mm-hmm. And then you make it, you know, you try to fit that into your schedule. The only one that really stuck out that way to me was Mudbound, which everyone saw very early on and I missed. And everyone kept saying like, oh, you got to see Mudbound. you got to see Mudbound. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that's what happened to me with me with uh, Call Me By Your Name, which I, which I mentioned uh, before. But yeah, yeah that's the, uh, I... I, I my my strategy again was limited two years, but I go in with a very strict schedule, but also knowing that I'm gonna be you know paying attention to what other people are saying and what I'm hearing on Twitter uh, uh, in, in terms of buzz and um, you know with the with the press and industry screenings you can you can sort of um, make that you know call, you can call an audible if you have uh, have time and and rearrange something or or skip something and then I also because I want to get reviews up. Um, as soon as possible, uh, I've uh, I learned from last year not to not to over schedule myself to make sure because I, I you know if I'm trying to see five movies in a day and write five reviews like that's it's almost uh, not doable. So yeah. I do tend to program some some breaks to like you know sit at the at the you know the hotel bar and have a snack and a beer and and crank out a couple reviews. So you're you're just going full Jack Nicholson here because you're gonna have a drink with a, a ghost bartender <laughs> while you yeah. bring out reviews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, potentially uh, spill artichoke dip all over the floor of the bar, which may have might be something that happened to me this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go through some of these films, guys. Uh, Why don't we go kind of back and forth between you two about uh, some of your you know favorite films you got to see at Sundance? Well. I think we're both going to agree that 
my number one is Call Me By Your Name, <laughs> which is yeah. the, which is the one everyone is talking about from the festival. Um, you that's that, that, that's uh, the masterpiece. Yeah, um, it's it's based on a book, so that's how a lot of people know it. But the it's essentially set in 1983 in the Italian countryside, hmm. so it's like you you start sweating the moment it starts just because you can feel the heat coming off of it, um, which is also a metaphor for what later happens in the film. But um, it's a uh, to to be blunt and jump right into it. It's a gay love story where um, there's a family that has like a 15, 16 year old son. I don't know his actual age, who was living with the Italian family in Italy. I think he's 17. Okay, it was somewhere in the teens. Um, and he and they they invite a summer guest to the house for um, like study work. He's studying basically like history. And um, this older guest played by Army Hammer. Uh, they kind of, him and the boy and the family sort of fall for each other, but it takes time for them to get to that point. Like, half the movie, they kind of just brush each other off, and then eventually they start to, like I said, you literally start to feel the heat from them. Um, not literally, but, like, you, like there's just that, there's, there's such a sensuality to it, which, um, all of this has turned people off. I literally got in a fight with someone in my comments on my review because they're like, oh, I'm not going to see this because it's so sensual. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's what's amazing about it is that – and I hate to drop this reference as well because some people may not like this – is that it reminded me of Blue is the Warmest Color mm. in terms of a really beautiful um, gay love story. That one's about two women. This one's about two men, which is sort of the ultimate – like you believe every aspect of their love. You feel it. You understand it. And then the ending is where it all comes together. And I don't want to give away any of it because there's like two or three scenes at the end, especially the final shot, which is just like you just are devastated and you just feel the emotions in such a real way. And um, I'm sure it's the same uh, for everyone who saw it. Is it like by the time it was out, me and I saw it with a friend and we both just walked out like we're like we're like high on cinema. We're like, yes, we finally saw the masterpiece of Sundance. We, we talked about it for, like, two hours straight. We were just so, like, it's like, the, it's one of those movies where you get out of it and you're like, this is why I love movies. This is what I, I come to see them for. This is why I came to Sundance. This is what I want to find. And just everything about it. I mean, um, David, I think you can go into it more just in terms of, like, what, you know, what what else there is to it to love about it because it's kind of like everything about it. Like you said, the masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think Blue is Ormer's Color is a good um, comparison, but it's it's not as it's not as sexually explicit as that movie, but it that doesn't, yeah, it's not necessarily for the prudish either. Like it's, you know, right. it's not, not explicit at, at, at certain points. There's uh you know, I think the um, people will be talking a lot about peaches and seeing peaches in a different way um, <laughs> after they've seen call me by your name. Uh, but uh, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me about it is that it is, you know, in its, in, in its beats, it's, it's a familiar sort of coming of age type of romance but the way that the characters exist, um, they're not like normal movie characters. This this family are more the the the, the mother and father and the and the son played by um, Timothy Chalamet or Chalamet, um, who's amazing by the way. Hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was also great uh, last year in a movie called Miss Stevens with uh, Lily Rabe that um, I don't a lot of people saw. But um, this guy Timothy Chalamet is one to one to watch. Um, uh, but the, the, this family, the you know, they're they're intellectuals. They're a little bit maybe uh, aristocratic, and they're obviously you know very wealthy. They uh, and they're and they're also um, cosmopolitan. You know, the mother is uh, uh, I can't remember if she's supposed to be Italian or French. The father is American, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, um, and they have this home that they visit in the summers and uh, in holidays in in northern Italy. It's 
you know, they're not normal, <laughs> normal people. None of the kind of people I, I uh, see day to day. Um, but the way they relate to each other is more as equals than as the the, the family hierarchy, uh, except for a couple of really touching scenes, uh, including Michael Stuhlbarg's monologue near the end. That's hmm. Uh, mind-blowing, yeah. um, in, in which we actually get the, the sort of parent-child relationship. But really what's what's astounding to me about Timothy Chalamet's character, as opposed to other teen romance coming-of-age type characters, is that he's he never... He, he's he's not obfuscating. He's he's he generally says what he means, which is so weird for a teenage character in a movie. Like like it's it's a movie that even though it does take its time and you know tease things out, like Alex said, it's it's over. It's like two hours and ten minutes long. Um, it it doesn't have a lot of conflict that we're used to in terms of the psychological conflict of like the the teen coming to terms with himself. He's very open and honest. He says what he means, um, and the parent treat him and i would say Armie hammond's character they generally are very blunt when they talk to one another and that's and that's refreshing but what that makes room for is that then when there are secrets they become uh monumental um and they're not secrets like we usually think of like someone keeping something from someone but we we, we learned that that timothy chalman's character i keep uh elio is his name uh he has like a place that he likes to go, you know, and and read, like in the uh, in the countryside, and like that's that's his grit. And so when he reveals that to Army Hammer, it's a small moment, but it's a huge moment in comparison to the way that these characters have treated one another uh, so far, which is you know friendly and but but like I said, kind of kind of blunt and straightforward. Um, and then you don't realize that he has things that he's concealing, and so when he opens up uh to army hammer it's um it's a it's a huge gesture um that unlike the rest of the movie which is a pretty talky movie uh doesn't really need words and then yeah. there's just there's a, a number of moments like that uh throughout the movie that i found uh really moving i was would say the, it's uh, much... was the was the film picked up by anybody yeah sony class uh, yeah it was actually sony classes. yeah sony pictures classics I, I think bought it before it had actually premiered because um when i saw it at the press and industry screening it already had the sony picture classics uh uh logo at the at the head yeah um going up what david said it's very much like it's not a coming of age story it's a love story which is what's so great to watch about it is that you're seeing people basically like really fall in love and then uh, again i don't want to give away it but that's essentially what the conversation with michael stuhlbarg is at the end it's about love and what mm. that means like how rare that is and it's almost like it almost mirrors what you see in the film because you're like, this is so rare to see such a beautiful film about love. It's it's so like visceral in a way in terms of what you get out of it. So it's what I kept telling people is they would ask me at Sundance, they're like, oh, what's the best? And I would say, Call Me by Your Name is on a, a whole other level, like above every other film, <laughs> and that and everything else from there is down. You know, more stuff to discuss, discuss good stuff. But Call Me by Your Name was just such a great, and that, and that's what I want to emphasize to people is that people may not be interested in it based on these, these kind of description we're giving. But you're like, if you love movies, you have to see this movie, and you have to go in with an open mind and hope in hopes that you enjoyed as much as everyone else did. All right. So what else do we got, guys? What uh, what other films can we bring up? Uh, I mean, if we want to stick to the the good stuff that I saw. Um... Was mentioned earlier, but uh, Mudbound. We can stick to most of the good stuff and then get to some really bad ones, maybe. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a couple of. There's a couple of movies I uh, really hated, including one that I'm in the minority on. So that'll be you know good uh, conflict. We can hmm. argue about it. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm curious what these are. 
Well, let's, let's uh, do let's, but, so what's Mudbound? Mud, yeah, Mudbound is uh, the other, you know, it, it's funny, Sundance movies, you know, uh, American independent movies tend to be uh, in that sweet spot of 90 to 100 minutes long, and that's usually what I like, and yet my two favorite movies that I saw at Sundance were the two that are, that are, that breach the two-hour mark, uh, so Mudbound is the other sort of epic, it's like two hours and 15 minutes, um, uh, and it's the, the, if I, if I were to lay out the the plot, I'd say it's basically about a, um, it's, it takes place in 1940s uh, Mississippi where a white family buys a farm and there's a family of black sharecroppers who rent, uh, you know, and live on part of that, a, a parcel of the land that they bought. So they become their, their tenants. And then it takes place over the next few years uh, in which these, the white family and the black family, their lives sort of uh, intertwine, um, which uh, comes to uh, a head when the white family, the younger brother of the, uh, uh, of the of the the white guy and then the oldest son of the black family both come home from World War II at about the same time and um, despite obviously being there being great uh, deep rooted racial tensions and separations in this part of the country these two because they both have this this World War II experience that no one else has uh, they become friends and that hmm. creates conflict but uh, I think the way I just let the, uh, laid that out a little more narratively focused than the movie actually is you know it's it's halfway through the movie before they even come home from the war um uh although we get there's there are scenes that take place in in europe um and we 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 see the war um it's a movie that definitely i think uh takes its time and um it's more uh organized by character than by plot uh there are actually six if if i'm right if if i'm counting correctly there are six different characters that have voiceover narration and uh, D. Reese, the director, sort of um, uh, the way I compared this, the, the, the way the analogy I used in my review is that, the, that they become like different sections of an orchestra that she can play on their own or in combinations uh, to create her, her her sort of symphony. Um, and and that's uh, so it's 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 not uh, it's in in many ways it is a. Um, you know, historical fiction, sort of conventional, like prestige movie, but it's uh, directed with um, and organized with a little more um, uh, flair, idiosyncrasy, and, and grace um, than than that implies. All right, so that's Mudbound. Was that acquired by yeah. anyone? Yes, it uh, was. Yeah, Netflix. Netflix. Oh, okay. Netflix. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I really liked it too. Um, it was actually the very last film I saw. It was my 34th film, so it was kind of like everyone mm-hmm. saw it at the beginning, and I saw it at the end. Um, and my my thing with it, and I know a lot of people who agree with me on this, but um, the first half is a little bit messy. Um, there's a lot of the voiceover introductions to all the, he's, as he said, six characters. There's like introductions to all of them. You know, half the the first for the first 30 minutes, I was thinking this is a film about racism, and there's a couple of good black characters, but you're being introduced to white people for like the first 30 minutes. Uh, and so I was like wondering when everything's gonna get going, but then it all comes together in the final like 45 minutes, and I. I guess I had wanted it to be as good as the final 45 minutes of the rest of the film. And I don't know if uh, D. Reese, the director, is going to edit it at all. I, I remember in the Q&A I was at, actually asked about this, and she said something. Like, she had a defense for it. She said it was like, oh, I needed to establish the world and the characters, and it's like, okay. But I I would say it would be a much like more fantastic film if she had somehow cleaned up the beginning a bit more. Um, but that's not to say there's not a lot of great pieces to it anyway. There's not a lot. And there's not a lot. There's also a lot to appreciate about it. 
as simply a good, strong racism or anti-racism film in the end. I also want to point out um, perform- the performances are great across the board, but um, Mary J. Blige, who plays the matriarch of the Black Fam, is not a- not someone I've usually generally thought much of as an actor, but she's terrific in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We want to do another one, guys. Uh, Alex, what's uh, what's another film? Um, one of my other ones I have to mention because I love love loved it was Brigsby Bear. Hmm. Oh, this. Okay, I've heard of this one. Yeah. Did you see this, David? I didn't. No. Okay. Um, the concept is, uh, it's a bit wacky and it's hard to say some of it without giving away a bit of it, but it's, you'll, you'll understand. Is it basically like the, there's a kid who was raised in a, an, an underground bunker by, uh, Mark Hamill is his father and he's raised in this <laughs> bunker by this family and he's not exposed to the outside world. The only thing he watches is this cheesy eighties TV show called Brigsby bear. And it stars this like animatronic bear who saves the universe. And, um, so like Go his on. entire life is, yeah, no, it's great. And so his entire life is Brigsby Bear, and then he, um, I won't explain because you need to see the movie, but he gets out, and he sort of goes into the real world, and the movie's about how awkward it is for him to, uh, I, I guess this is the right word, to assimilate into the real world, <laughs> in a way. And um, This is, uh, what is it? it's, it's Kyle Mooney from Saturday Night Live? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's basically, uh, and it's also produced by the, the Lonely Island guy, so there's a lot of like really good, smart humor to it. But it's also what really won me over was that it's a really heartfelt film. It's essentially about like the, the ultimate theme of the film is um, half of it is filmmaking because he kind of wants to make a film and he finds his joy in making a movie. And then the other half of it is just sort of the, the, the power and the, the, the community we get by making friends and how like you go out there and you're awkward and you're weird and you don't fit in. But then someone becomes friends with you and that makes the whole world go round in a way. Mm. Uh, so there's this like really nice like heartfelt side to it that is mixed with this just absurd original humor of you know this wacky awkward kid who loves Brigsby Bear with all his heart you know he could never let Brigsby Bear go um and Mark Hamill's great in it and everyone is great in it um Kyle Mooney's just fantastic he uh one of my friends who's a bigger SNL fan than I said he you know he was like born to play this role it just it just feels so natural for him playing it and um it really it just really won me over I laughed a lot, and I, it's one of those that if you're a geek, you have to see hmm. because it's ultimately like a geek movie, but just so much fun and so enjoyable. Was that film acquired by anyone? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think most of the most of the like buzzed about films were eventually acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious to need to know who. No, no, no. It, I, obviously, it makes sense. Uh, Sony Classics. Okay. Oh, wow. I, I think it's a terrible choice. They they were the wrong place to buy it. I mean, I'm happy that someone bought it, but it's not a Sony Classics movie at all. Hmm. It, it's. Did you say that the Lonely Island guys were helped to write the the script? No, they're producers. Producers. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. They have. Oh, the other thing that's um someone said about it's perfect that Sony Classics bought it is that uh, at the beginning of the movie, um the the it's like I think it says Lonely Island Classics. <laughs> and it's literally it's literally the Sony Classics logo, but with Lonely Island Classics. <laughs> and this was before Sony Classics bought it, but now that they bought it, my friend was like, "Oh, that's perfect." And I told him, I think this was on Twitter. I'm like, "They better keep both logos because that just makes it so much better." <laughs> well, David, how about another one from you? Uh, the next one I'll pick um, is uh, I think it was a little little divisive, but I definitely came down on the positive side of it. Uh, Alex Ross Perry's new movie, Golden Exits. Um, this is the guy who, uh, I guess, just last year made Queen of Earth, and two or three years ago made uh, the great Listen Up, Philip. Um, ah, okay. and, um, 
this is a little bit more in the Listen Up Philip vein in that it's um, talky and funny. Not that, I mean, Queen of Earth is also very talky. This is a, Alex Ross Perry writes characters who constantly talk. Um, but unlike the way I describe the characters in Call Me By Your Name, um, Alex Ross Perry's characters constantly talk and constantly make these uh, declarative statements about themselves, about one another, or about their psychological mindset. But all of it is really kind of bullshit. Like, they're all... Uh, they're all sort of, intellectual I think, dodging. Of. Yeah, I think they're just dodging what's really going on. Talking about they're talking about one another, or or, or um, even when you know the, the, uh, it, this is one of those movies. Um, even though it, luckily it doesn't get too cutesy about it, but one of those movies where it's an ensemble where everyone is like one degree of separation removed, even though they often don't realize uh, that they're so close to one another. So, um, like Lily Ribe's character is the sister of Annalie. Tipton's character, but she's also works as a personal assistant for Mary Louise Parker's character, whose sister um, uh, Chloe Savini is married to Adam Horowitz, whose uh, employee is Emily Browning, and then Emily Browning uh, is friends with Jason Schwartzman, who's married to Annalie Tipton. So it goes like all the way around uh, like that. Um, and and so there's a, there's a part where Lily Rabe's character is talking to Annalie Tipton about herself and her future and where she sees herself uh in in 10 years um and but it even though she never comes out and says it it's clear that she's really talking about her boss mary louise parker or at least is unable to see herself without that lens it seems, seems like people are constantly um not looking at one another but projecting themselves onto the people uh in their in their social circle or in their uh work uh environment or or what have you um so it's a, it's you know sort of a loose uh, episodic overlapping movie um that's pretty funny not listen to philip funny but uh pretty funny um and uh i i thought it was really interesting and well done and uh beautifully shot i it, i don't know if it looks like it's on, it's a 16 millimeter um film i'm not sure if that's true or not but it has that uh that that texture and that grain um uh, and there's a there's a warmth to it that i think is is great um uh, and yeah as i as i mentioned when i was laying out all the characters it's a great cast um and adam horvitz from the beastie boys is uh is really good and, and funny. he's been popping up he was in what was it um what was the the noah bombach film uh with ben stiller and adam uh while while you Green, while uh, we're Greenberg. young no not Greenberg. no no, oh. no not while while yeah while we're, we're young. young yeah he while we're young yeah does this film have narration like listen up philip did no it doesn't no. okay I guess because uh, this one has a more ensemble cast. I guess so it doesn't really. I don't think it necessarily lead, lends itself. Yeah. Same way because that film. Who did the? Did someone specific do the narration? And listen up, Philip. I remember it was very. It was very like um, how would you say, um, dry. I guess and how it was. It was despite the characters in that film, but it was there was narration and listen up, Philip that I I very much enjoyed. It was kind of it was a it was a neat like matter of fact way of delivering information to you. What, before getting back to Jason Schwartzman's nonsense or what have you in that film. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, Alex, did I didn't you see Golden Exit? Okay. No, I didn't. I'm, to be honest, I'm not the biggest Alex Ross Perry fan, so I wasn't focusing oh, on okay. it. <laughs> oh, and Aaron, I looked it up. It's Eric Bogosian does the narration. That's, there it is. Okay, yeah. It's, it's like, it's not cool. like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I can hear it now as you said that. Um, what was that one called again? Golden Golden Exits, and I don't know if it got. Uh, I for some reason I thought that A24 picked it up, but I'm looking at uh, a list of stuff that was bought at Sundance, and I'm not seeing it on on here. So uh, maybe I'm getting confused with the Ghost Story, which I didn't see. That, that sounds like an A24 kind of. <laughs> yeah. 
Can I, I can I ask? Unless this yeah. is a spoiler, does the actual golden exits refer to an actual golden golden exit happening in the movie? Isn't a golden exit like you leave without saying goodbye? See, I, that, I mean, like that? I, that's an that's an Irish goodbye, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that's how I that's how I yeah, know um, about an Irish goodbye. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even think about that because <laughs> I was thinking like the whole time of like golden exits. Is that is is there like some reference to that in the movie? There has to be, obviously. Uh, yeah, but I guess, uh, but now that you say it that way, Emily Bronman's character, who is sort of the 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 nexus of you know every, everyone's stories, sort of um, swirl around Emily Browning. If there's a lead to the movie, then it's then it's her, and she is a sort of transient type character who tends to move around a lot and be there for a few months and and leave. So um, now that you yeah now that you mentioned it that way, uh, it might be referring to to her. Yeah, that's what I figured. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Um, Obviously, please. I have to cut that part out because everyone's <laughs> you know, getting in <laughs> <laughs> Um Now that it was just mentioned, so I kind of want to talk about this, uh, but a ghost story. Hmm. Um, okay. This is the Casey Affleck with, um, what's his name, um, David, David Lowry, right? Yeah, exactly, David Lowry. Who, your your um, fe- his... favorite Pete's Dragon director? Yeah, I love Pete's Dragon. <laughs> well, that's the I was really excited for this because I'm like, I've loved everything David Lowry has made, and he can't let me down. Ain't them um, Body Saints and Pete's Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ain't, um, ain't them stories ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it's uh, okay, so there's a piece to it I cannot reveal because you really need to see it. Um, but it's a very experimental film. I was warned by the publicist going in. He's like, it's not what you think it is. It's completely experimental. It's different. You have to maintain that open mind when you're seeing it. Otherwise, the first 30 minutes is a little dry. Like The thing that everyone has heard about it because it got tweeted 100,000 times was that there's literally a scene where Rudy Mara sits and eats an entire pie. And I and it is not that's not an exaggeration. That is that the entire six-minute scene is her just eating the entire pie. Um, and it's a reference to she's dealing with the grief of the loss. And the whole film is essentially a, a bigger look at um, loss and time and just sort of the things that last beyond time. And that's as much as I can say without you know going too much into it. And there's a lot of interesting pieces to it where it wasn't until the, the final piece, which seems to be the case with some of my favorite Sundance films, the final half of it where it all came together where it sort of made sense to me and it made, and I understood what he was going for, what David Lowry was going for in the bigger picture of it. And so I knew a couple of my friends, um, Jordan Raub, who runs the film stage, I knew he would love it and he lost his shit for it. Like it played right to him and his sensibilities. So if you want to, you know, if you really want to be convinced, read his review because his review is glowing. He says it was the best of the festival. Um, and I And I really enjoyed it. It's not my favorite of the festival, but... I really appreciate what David Lowry tried here, which is that he went and made something with a low budget, um, very much just for themselves in a way, and didn't think about you know, you know, satisfying Disney or anyone, and just sort of made this film, and it, and it speaks a lot about, like I said, life and and love and uh, grief, and um, the performances are great, and there's a lot of there's an original song in it um, that really works emotionally in terms of what's happening in the story, um, so it's another one I recommend. I expect a lot of people will not like it, but I also expect some people will lose their shit over it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you never know which way you're gonna go, and you've got to give it a chance. And does uh, does Casey Affleck rock a big beard in it, or is he clean shaven? Shoot, I think he has a beard, but now I don't remember exactly. 
There's a lot of ghost. Well, there's a lot of time that passes, and then the weird thing is that Casey Affleck eventually plays the quote unquote ghost, who he's literally a a guy under a sheet. That's all I've heard about it. I didn't know about yeah. that. I think I heard some passing reference to this pie thing, but I didn't know what it was yeah. reference to. But I have heard about the because the image that I see is just a person standing under a sheet as a ghost. Yeah, that's, he's basically in the whole movie that way. Um, hmm. And one of my questions was actually like, did they literally have Casey Affleck on set the entire time doing that? Because they could easily have put anyone under a, a sheet and had it. That's not cinema, it. Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's funny. not method acting. <laughs> Well, but that was one of the questions in my mind the whole time. Like, well, maybe, did, uh, did you ask the publicist? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would, I would, if I do an interview with David Lowry, that is the kind of question I would ask. Like, I just have to know just how much the record. Casey Affleck actually yeah. Because it's, it's also not like, say, for example, V for Vendetta, where his voice is such a key part to his physical mm-hmm. performance, and you need to have both of them together. This is just like him literally standing in the corner for half the scene. You know, you're like, okay, could be anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Casey Affleck digs that kind of thing. He could stand in a corner for like hours at a time wearing a sheet. I'd see that happen. <laughs> Classic uh, Casey. I'm very curious to hear other people's responses to it. And if it weren't for where it goes in the second half, I would not have liked it as much as I did. And I, I'm as, as much as I want to talk about that, I really can't. <laughs> Fair enough. What was it? Uh, what was acquired? Yeah, that was uh, as David mentioned. A24 bought that like right before the festival started. Oh, so wow. that is an A24 film. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, let's do one more uh, good one from David. What's uh, what's another one? Oh, I only get one more good one. No, I'm torn. We, okay, if you got if you have two more, because I, <laughs> I, I had I had two more guys. I wanted to talk about. Okay, um, guys, okay. That, two that were good. Uh, yeah, I I saw um, this is a movie that uh, is not getting much um, uh, much press, unfortunately. It's a movie called Walking Out, uh, starring uh, Matt Bomer and uh, a kid named uh, Josh Wiggins, I think, and then uh, Bill Pullman also has a. Uh, a small role um, as Matt Bomer's father in flashbacks. Uh, and also uh, Lily Gladstone, who was so great in Certain Women last year, has a tiny role in Walking Out. Um, but uh, it's from the the Smith brothers. Um, uh, is it Alex and Adam Smith, I think, who are directors that I've been uh, a big fan of. This is their third film. Back in 2002, they made a movie called The Slaughter Rule with uh, Ryan Gosling and um, David Morse and uh, Clea Duvall. Uh, that is, uh, I think, terrific. And then uh, about three years ago, they made a movie called Winter in the Blood that no one saw. Um, uh, but I uh, I saw it and, and liked that one quite a bit. And so this is their, their third film. Um, and it's about a it's a father and son uh, hunting trip. Um, the, the parents are divorced. The son lives in Texas with his uh, with his mother. But uh, once a, a year, he comes up and spends a weekend in Montana with his father. Um, and they they hunt in the snowy mountainy woods uh, in in Montana, and so it's about you know the movie's only about ninety minutes long. The first forty five minutes are the you know the the hunting trip and them sort of they haven't seen each other for a year, getting to know one another. It's very awkward, and then at uh, uh, pretty much exact halfway uh, point there is uh, an incident or an accident. Something goes wrong on the hunting trip that leaves both of them. Uh, injured, and so the second half of the movie is them drumroll walking out. Uh, so it turns into a, a survival Hey-o. story. <laughs> um, uh, and it's it's just I, I'm 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 really drawn to these the, the Smith brothers, the, the these directors. Um, all of their movies take place in Montana and are shot in Montana. They're um, 
they are quintessential Montana filmmakers, uh, and all of their movies are sort of about men that are, you know, on the surface, they are the traditional masculine man's man, but for psychological reasons or whatever reasons, or, you know, in Winter in the Blood, it has a lot to do with alcoholism. There's something about them that makes them either doubt themselves or feel like outsiders. Um, you know, in, in, in Slaughter Rule, you know, Ryan Gosling played like a high school football star, but also his father was a drunk who had recently committed suicide, uh, you know, at the time the movie starts. And, and um, so here, and here you've got these two, you know, this uh, uh, Matt Bomer and then this 14-year-old, you know, um, young man uh, and who, you know, aren't, they aren't each other's idea of a man uh, yet, but they come to know each other better over the course of the, uh, of the movie. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really good and it's, um, very harrowing and it's beautifully shot because you almost, um, you'd have to be a real fuck up not to make this movie beautiful because, <laughs> uh, Montana, uh, you know, in, in the, in the winter, in the mountains and the woods, like just, uh, it, it looks so great. Um, and yeah, I, I hope it gets the, these filmmakers a little more uh, on the map. Um, uh, I know I, I learned from tweeting about Walking Out that the uh, the Matt Bomer fandom is strong on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's <laughs> the um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, apparently, a lot of more people watched White Collar than I than I realized. Um, yeah, Matt Bomer has a, a huge following that I was not aware of. I, I interviewed yeah. him once for like a, a DC um, animated film, and like the response was huge for because Matt Bomer was involved. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I hope that um, more people see this. I know um, you keep asking what was picked up. I'm, so, I'm someone picked this up. I'm almost entirely sure, but I uh, I not can't find it. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I hope people see it. It's worth seeing. I, you know, it, um, if you want a, a good reference for someone who loved it and also wanted to, like, be convinced on it, I know uh, Joshua Rothkopf from, I think, I forget exactly where he writes for. He's New York-based. New Yorker, maybe? Yeah. Um, he loved it. Like, yeah. l- like totally went nuts over it. And he his review is a lot of expressing his own kind of connection, father-son experience connection to it, which is, I think, what some people really get from it. Like, if you can... F- if there's a connection you make to that story and that sort of difference between you and your father, and yet you still have a connection, that's what I think really stands out about it. Okay. Alex, let's get one more from you. Um, I'll, I'll mention the documentary because <laughs> we haven't talked about any. Is that cool? Do you talk about documentaries on the show? We love documentaries. Yes, <laughs> yes we do. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, one of my favorite documentaries, which won the Audience Award as well, was Chasing Coral. Um, and it's the, it's not a sequel per se, but it's the follow-up from the guy who made Chasing Ice, um, which was like three or four years ago, a really popular climate documentary where a guy gets time-lapse photos of the ice melting and the ice caps. Um, and the same filmmaker, he dedicates two to three years of his entire life to make this film. And essentially what he's doing this time is, as the title tells you, Chasing Coral. So he, his goal is to take time-lapse photos of coral in the ocean bleaching, which is the act of the coral dying and turning white and uh, the life in it going away, which is caused by rising temperatures in the ocean water, which is caused by global warming because of the CO2 and so on and so forth. 
So it's it is a climate documentary, but it's also uh, just a really um, like nerdy documentary. A, a couple of the people they fe- folk, uh, have in the documentary who are doing interviews and who are featured throughout are these like coral nerds who love coral more than anything in the world, um, and it's like really inspiring to watch them just nerd out about coral. And then it's just the the good thing about this is compared to um, an inconvenient sequel, which is Al Gore's documentary, which was also a follow up. Mm-hmm. That one is so angry, and he's just pissed off the whole movie. This one actually has hope in it. This one kind of like there's a there's an optimistic side to it, which is just that you have all these people who love Earth and who just want to help change it or change the way we're going and sort of improve things. Yeah, clouds, um, yes. and yeah, <laughs> no, exactly, Earth. This is why we talk about Earth, right? <laughs> um, so it's 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 just a like really uplifting but also you know frightening documentary about what's happening on the planet but also just really engaging and exciting to watch. The way he puts it together is fantastic. There's a great score by the guy who did the Beast of the Southern Wild score. I oh, love his work. Cool. All right. Um and there's just like a lot to it that you just get caught up in and and it's just really beautiful. The, the shots he has of the coral, not the time lapse stuff he gets, but the like footage they have just of scuba diving and getting coral shots are just amazing and it it makes you just think about i mean we all know this and i know the next avatar is going to be about this but just like how much life there is in the oceans that we don't think about on a daily basis and just how beautiful it is and how much we should not destroy that so let's clean up our act and get our shit together and stop using fossil fuels (laughs) um but yeah it's it, and I hope I think someone picked it up, but I, I think it was Netflix. But um, I hope it comes out and gets a lot of support because it's the kind of film like uh, what was the one about whales a couple of years ago? Um, forgetting the title now. Not Blackfish. Uh, um, yeah, no, Blackfish. Blackfish. Oh, Blackfish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just where it was a great activism documentary that got the support behind it and got seen by enough people to actually cause change. That was the great thing about Blackfish. It was like, hey, it's a great film, but also. It played on CNN. It played on all these places where all of a sudden enough people were seeing it that it actually, mm-hmm. they actually got support behind what they were trying to do. And I hope that same thing happens with Chasing Coral. I don't want it to be like, oh, a couple of documentary fans see it. It's like, no, they need to put it on TV. They need to get people to actually go see it for what it is and then learn from it. So that's that's what I hope for this film. All right. David, you got one more? I have one more that I want to mention, both because it's a, a really good movie, but also because the the... the the, there's a story um, that I can tell about the um, what, what, what went on at the at the premiere. Uh, I want to mention Kate Shortland's Berlin Syndrome. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> which is a really it's a really cool uh, thriller. Um, almost, I mean, I I would hesitate to call it a horror movie because I think that would give people the wrong impression. But it does have sort of a horror premise. But it's like uh, I, I don't think it's too. Um, crazy to compare it to silence of the lambs in the way that it has like uh horror horror trappings but it's you know executed with this sort of middle brow you know sheen in class and and uh, i don't mean i don't necessarily mean middle brow as a pejorative it's usually uh used that way that's not what i mean um but the the premise is Teresa palmer plays a an australian um not a stretch for her she is an australian uh, who's um backpacking through germany you know solo vacation in in berlin she meets this guy who's a uh, a teacher um, played by uh, Max Remelt from uh, Sense Eight, um, and uh, they sort of have a little little fling, um, and she you know stays over at his place instead of staying at her hostel, and then she wakes up one morning and finds that she is unable to leave his apartment. She's been locked in. Hmm. There's sound, soundproof glass. There's 
the rest of the units in the building are unoccupied, um, and this guy has, you know, kidnapped her and is essentially um, planning to turn her into his, uh, I guess, domestic slave. Um, mm. uh, and uh, that's that's the premise. It's, it's really well done. But I, I, I want to tell the story about the the screening. This was the premi- like the world premiere of this movie. Um, okay. And and it was at the uh, screen. Uh, the the theater uh, is called the the Mark. It's the something something recreation center, and that's literally what it is. It's a recreation center um, where they convert like half of a basketball gymnasium uh, into a, a a movie theater with um, you know uh, uh, with stadium seating and everything. It, it looks great. Um, so the movie, you know, this is the movie started about eight thirty. Uh, I'm gonna say. Around 9:52 p.m., I'm gonna guess. Suddenly, over the um, uh, over the speakers in the middle of the movie, in the middle of a really tense scene, uh, it says, "Attention, Mark patrons, uh, we'll be closing in eight minutes." Because <laughs> um, the rest of the Mark, like it's still a functioning recreation center, just they just take over the the gym, and clearly they're supposed to turn off the PA to that part of the building. <laughs> but uh, so there was an announcement they'd be closing in eight minutes. Um, but that is nothing compared to what then happened, which is in the climax of the movie, when the guy is carrying a crowbar and stalking the victim up the up the stairs, the DCP server crashed and the movie just froze. Oh. Um, <laughs> like seriously, there's like six minutes of movie. Maybe, maybe it was a surprise uh, ending. That's how that's how they wanted to finish. <laughs> so, so then what happened is then they they had a really crummy like I, I don't know if it was a, a digital screen or a DVD screener with a watermark that they were like they tried to show us the last five minutes of the movie with that, but first they jumped ahead, so we like like we we missed a couple minutes, um, and then that didn't work, and then they tried to get the DCP started again, and it jumped ahead and suddenly we so we saw the ending before we saw the actual climax, <laughs> and, um, and then they then that stopped working, and then they just like brought up the lights and they just started the Q and A. And Teresa Palmer, who was a great, like, ended up, a, like, there was a programmer from Sundance there, but Teresa Palmer ended up moderating the Q&A. Um, she was fantastic at it. She basically just, like, acted out and told us, like, what the end of the movie was. Um, and then they opened up the questions, and the first question was this dude, this irate dude, essentially screaming at the programmer, like, like it was his fault. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and then someone else raised their hand and said, you know, not all Americans are like that guy. So it was like, getting <laughs> heads. Um, oh, and then so they did like the whole Q and a, and a lot of people, like a lot of people just left. Uh, they did the whole Q and a, and then all of a sudden they were like, Oh, uh, we're getting word that they fixed it. So we're going to show you the end of the movie now. <laughs> and then, so then we got to watch the last six minutes of the movie and it was really good. And then I don't know if they did another Q and a, cause I just left uh, at that point. Yeah. Um, he took a, a golden, uh, yeah so um that was uh, i felt bad for kate shortland and, and then because like i said this was the world premiere of the movie uh yeah it's a bit of a bummer but it worked out well and luckily the movie was good i was actually what i was wondering is did you guys actually see the ending because i kept hearing different reports yeah. from people who were like oh i never actually got to see it and then she just explained it, and then that's all they had. That's because they left during the Q and A. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think that there were a lot of people who left that I feel bad for because they, they, yeah, they did eventually show us that they and they and they uh, went back a couple minutes and showed us, you know, to get us back into the group okay, <laughs> and showed us yeah. the the whole last ten minutes or so. All right. Yeah, I've seen cool. this film. I kind of want to talk about it briefly though, because um, I saw I saw a screener of it, so I didn't have this problem. Thank goodness. Um, and my first thought was, this is going to scare people from wanting to visit Berlin, especially women. 
because as beautiful as it is about Berlin, it's just like, oh my God, I would never want to go there. I wouldn't want to meet a guy. You're going to get locked in a freaking place. <laughs> His um, name could be Alex Billington. No! This guy, right? Don't worry. I don't live where, she, where he... I don't even know where he lives. It was a creepy place. Classic um, thing Alex Billington would say in this situation. <laughs> hey, don't incriminate me. I didn't no. do anything. Um, but my other thought was that... Uh, and I guess this is hard to talk about until you've seen it, but um, this is why I'm going to ask you, David, is that, like, I found it kind of weird because um, it felt so, I felt so uneasy the whole time, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is, especially it's a, it's a female director, so I'm trying to, like, what is her point about showing a woman trapped in this guy's apartment? Like, what is her goal with this, right? And the conclusion I came up with is that perhaps it's a metaphor for relationships where you get emotionally trapped in a relationship and that this is the metaphor of being literally physically trapped in a relationship and that you have, you know, cause it starts out with her. She was interested in the guy fling with him. They hook up and then he gets, and then he traps her. And that was my, my thought about is this potentially one of the things she's trying to say with this film? Uh, I guess I, I saw it more as a, um, uh, an allegory or parable about, you know, patriarchy and misogyny in that uh, the idea that men uh, or, or certain men um, seek to dictate what, you know, what the women in their lives are, you know? Yeah, like, this, yeah this is kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that, that's what I, what I saw going on, but there's also this, all this, this um, parallel metaphor allegory about um, the reunification of Germany and because the movie takes place not just in Berlin, but what was formerly East Berlin, and the, the whole reason Teresa Palmer's character has come there is to take pictures of these abandoned GDR uh, buildings, uh, you know, that she's right. into. So there's this sort of like, uh, in a sense, to go back to my horror analogy, it's kind of like a ghost story where the ghost of um, the the GDR and the and and the separation of East Berlin uh, is still haunting uh, the the denizens of Berlin today. Yeah, this is why I say people don't ever visit. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're going to be like, well, shit, is there some creepy dude walking around East Berlin who's going to kidnap me? I mean, I've seen Hostel as well, so now I don't want to go to Europe at all. um... (laughs) And Taken. Let's not forget Taken. Oh, yeah, and Taken. Yeah, right. Now we can't go to France either. um... Uh, did you guys see Victoria a couple of years ago? That single shot uh, yeah. movie. Yep, that was on my top ten. So, I so love what I'm what I'm learning from this movie in Victoria is if a foreigner, a foreigner, a woman comes to Berlin and attends a party on a rooftop at the beginning of the movie, things are not going to go well for her. <laughs> that seems to be the, the trend. Yeah, so watch out when you visit Berlin. Don't go to a party right away. <laughs> yeah, especially not on a rooftop. Wait for the third party invite. Got it. <laughs> cooler calmer party this is this is what i'm talking about okay i'm just gonna set the record straight to everyone listening berlin is a great city there are not creepy people there are creepy people but it's still come visit you won't get kidnapped don't worry i promise and if you do just call me and i'll break you up sounds great but then that's a promise all, all of that goes on a poster come to berlin Alex <laughs> Milligan says that's yeah that's his pull quote <laughs> all right um david what was the what was the film that you were in the minority on that you, you didn't really like all oh. that much uh, and well, this ended up being, I think, the the audience award winner or the uh, one of the award winners. But I hated Macon Blair's directorial debut. I don't no. feel at home in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Did you Nick see that? Blair, who was the star I of did, yeah. Jerry, or he's in the various uh, Jeremy Saulnier films, uh, Green Room and Blue Ruin and uh, Murder Party. Yeah. Yeah, and this kind of feels like a, 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 a cut-rate Blue Ruin type of movie in that it's yeah. about a... Uh, Melanie Linsky plays a sort of, you know, sad sack, regular person who um, unwittingly gets involved in a, uh, I guess, revenge. She's not even really seeking revenge. She just wants to get her stolen stuff back because she gets her, her home is burglarized. And she and uh, Elijah Wood as a loner Christian martial arts um, <laughs> enthusiast. Um, no, so it's like his character in Sin City. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so they they end up like unwittingly going further and further down this uh, rabbit hole that becomes increasingly violent. It's kind of a slow burn in that way. Like there are some hints of violence, like a broken finger that's pretty grisly early on, and then in the last like 15 minutes of the movie or 20 minutes, it's just like the floodgates are open and it's actually incredibly violent and gory oh, wow. uh, at the very end. None of that really bothers me. What what bothers me is that um, uh, to uh, two things to keep the Blue Ruin comparison, Blue Ruin was a movie that never lost its sort of empathy or sadness. I think even when it became about you know uh, bloodshed and, and and stuff like that, um, this movie I think is a little more superficial. But the thing that really bugs me about it, and this is a personal thing with me, it's the same reason I also hate a movie a lot of people like called Idiocracy. <laughs> um, right. that the movie is the movie is so smug about other people. It has, it's basically the, the point of the movie seems to be like, uh, everyone is awful except, you know, cool people like you and me, right viewer. And I, I, I find that sort of, uh, uh, arrogance, unexamined arrogance, uh, to be a real turnoff. I can understand that. I'm, I'm baffled that it won the audience award. I don't understand how that happened. Like, it, yeah. I don't want to say if it split the vote or something, cause it's one of those things where you think, there's a lot of great films, and oh, I think it won the jury prize, not the audience award. Because okay. um, I think the audience award was Crown Heights, if I recall. Um, which won, I think, because it's a very emotional film, and I get why people would have voted for it, but it's not uh, like the best film of the festival. But I don't feel at home in this world. I don't know how the jury thought it was like that amazing. Like, like you said, it's kind of derivative. It's kind of like. Yeah, I, I watched it and I was like, okay, this is fun, but that's it. Like, I don't want to watch it again. I don't. I don't feel amazed by it in any way. I don't really, I don't, I don't understand their love for it. It just, I, I mean, I didn't hate it as much as you, but it's just, it's like, okay, what, how does this happen? Yeah. Hmm. Is there any other one you really hated? I hated uh, Michelle Morgan's LA Times. Oh, good. I can agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I don't, I don't think it's a particularly good movie to begin with, but also personal, just like being an, an Angelino and, and, and liking uh, Los Angeles a lot, I feel like it's a very um, trite and superficial and not actually that uh, expert uh, look at life in, in, in Los Angeles. But mostly I just hated all the characters. Yeah, well, is it, is the whole point of it is it's like a mockery of L.A. life, right? Yeah, but it's not. It, it just it just seemed so like it seemed like someone who'd lived in Los Angeles for about three years and felt they had it figured out. Where mm. you yeah, know, yeah. I've lived here a dozen years now, and I the only thing I've really learned is that you can never stop learning about this city. Um, and and I don't like this minimizing look at it. And I hate that like. The, the stereotype that everyone in Los Angeles has a, you know, has a screenplay they're working on or want it, wants to sell is like 
that was old 30 years ago. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, I, I, I hate that. I hate that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I hate how it like intentionally blind. The movie seems to be to issues like gentrification. You know, these, these characters all live on the East side, but you get the, you get the impression they moved there, uh, or not even really the East side. Cause that's another thing is that, um, a lot of white hipster types refer to like, Silver Lake and Echo Park as the east side, but it's not really. It's just east of Hollywood or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but they, they, these these characters seem to have seem to be enjoying the privilege of having moved into this area after it was gentrified, and it doesn't really. Um, they, they they seem to walk around a lot and yet never cross paths with people who aren't like them. Uh, and and I just uh, I found it as as an Angelino, I I I don't want people to see it. Yeah. I agree with you that I really did not like any of the characters. I thought the the main girl's performance was, like, so fake. I could tell she was just... Like, I could tell what she was doing, and that really annoyed me. And that's um, the writer-director as well. Yeah, and it's just... It was a, it was a little bit, like... I had I'd actually heard good buzz from people, so I was like, oh, I gotta see it. And then by the end of it, I'm like, I don't... I don't know why they like it. I mean, I could hear from them, and I could... I guess it's the whole L.A. mockery thing, but it just was like, eh, it's not for me. I don't... I didn't laugh at all. <laughs> yeah. Did, um, did either of you see The Big Sick? No. Yeah, I, didn't. I did, I did. That was the Camille Nanjani, uh... Yeah, um... A lot of people that I talked to was one of their favorites of the festival. Um... Uh, my biggest issue with it was that it was too long. It's like two hours, which is the typical for an Apatow comedy, because um, Apatow produced it. And it's wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be. Like Kumal's great, but he's not. He's trying to give like a dramatic performance, and it kind of doesn't work half the film. Mm-hmm. And my other weird issue is that it's the movie's about their relationship. Because um, for people who don't know, the big sick is about Kumail and. Uh, What's his wife's real name? In Emily real life, V. Like, Gordon. Yeah, so it's about them meeting and falling in love and having their relationship start. But first things first, uh, the real Emily does not play in it. It's played by Zoe Kazan, um, who I love. But she, my first question was, okay, you have the real Kumal playing himself, but you don't have the real Emily? Like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, is it's about the whole movie's about their relationship, but and this isn't really a spoiler because this is what it's about, is that she's in a coma for 80% of the movie. So while it is about the, him and their relationship, it's there's no real time with them. So I couldn't really buy their relationship because first things first, it wasn't the real his real wife, even though it was about their real story. And then secondly, it was they, they just never spent enough time together for me to get into that. So the rest of the movie is this kind of disjointed comedy of like, yeah, it's about parents and all this other stuff. But it was just like it didn't really impress me as much as I guess it impressed other people. Mm. Um, and it's not to say it's a bad movie. It's, it is good. It's just not the amazing thing that I think most people are saying it is. Who was the director on that one? Michael Showalter. Oh, Michael Showalter. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was somebody. I couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which I, I also curious, thought... I, yeah, I had heard that it was you know a big favorite for a lot of people. So. Yeah. I was also wondering why didn't Kumal direct it? Like, that was my thought. I was, I was like, okay, this is Kumal's movie about himself. He's starring in it. Why is he not directing it? <laughs> you know, and I don't, don't want to, you know, have every hand in the project. You know, yeah, okay, okay, okay. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I get it, I get it. But at the same time, it's such a personal story. It felt like that personal touch made a made a difference. But I don't know. I understand what you're saying for sure. It's just, you know, yeah. not, some people have different ideas of what they want to do with their movies. So. 
I, I expect this one to definitely get a lot of people who love it when they finally get the chance to see it. Like, I'm not... I'm not expecting people to also hate it as much as me. No, not hate it. I didn't hate it, but dislike it. I just expect everyone to have sort of a different take on it. You may see certain things in it that you really connect to and you like than others. Here's a question. Um, for the films that you guys see at Sundance, are they all, and just presuming that you, you know, see them again at some point, are they all presumed, are they all like pretty much finished when they're at Sundance or are there any ways that have like significant edits that happen or change along the way when they get theatrical releases or whatnot? They I think that's a question can. for Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most things are finished because, like, put it this way: the, the filmmakers know that they need to have a finished film to present. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that they're told that by the some programmers, but nonetheless, it's like, why would you show an audience of a thousand people if you don't have a finished film? Well, yeah. Sometimes uh, it's something as simple as like music rights or just like a, an editor two or something. I'm just yeah. Kidding. I guess the biggest things I've noticed are yes, music rights. Um, and I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head, but there was one that had a whole different set of music. And then other things, they can make edits. Um, for example, I know that The Raid 2, which, yes, that premiered at Sundance. Um, the, I remember when, uh, uh, what's his, Gareth Edwards? Which Gareth is it? Uh, <laughs> no, not Gareth Evans, Edwards. It's, it's Gareth Evans. Ev- Ev- yeah. When, Gareth, when Evans brought it to... Sundance, he came up on stage to introduce and he said, we were literally in the editing bay finishing it yesterday, and now they're premiering it today. And so I know that in that kind of a rush deadline, they premiere it and then they listen to the feedback. This is basically their first test screening series. They mm-hmm. listen to the feedback and then they go back and they edit it a bit more. I don't think that there's as much like unfinished pieces. It's more of like, yeah, we can tweak it. We can do some things. Um, for example, for a reference for last year, this is something I actually know, is that uh, Manchester by the Sea I saw it at Sundance. It later premiered at like Toronto and Telluride, I think, um, a bunch of the other fall festivals. And I rode the gondola with uh, Kenneth Lonergan, and I literally asked him point blank, did you make changes since Sundance? Has there been any difference? Because I thought it would have been like a couple minutes shorter. And he told me um, yes and no. He's like, yeah, I tweaked it a little bit. But he said, you know, the scenes that he tweaked are things that uh, me as in the regular audience wouldn't notice. Like, he's like, I changed this, you know, I shortened this joke up because it didn't really work the first time we showed it. You know, I made a little tweak here and there. So basically, it's not like you're locked when you showed it, Sundance. You can make edits and changes, and it really depends on the film and the filmmaker and what they feel like. Some films are, like, uh, due out in theaters in a couple months, so they can't make changes. But some other films that are there for the very first time showing to anyone, yeah, they can have time to do what they need to do if they want to make a change. Okay, well, we should move on. There's still some show to do here. Going yeah, I know. But, uh, no, thanks, guys, very much for uh, the... uh was insightful. Uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of good stuff to hear about, things to look forward to, things to apparently avoid, and uh, yeah. and definition of the term golden exits. So I think we're all, <laughs> think we're all uh, doing pretty good here as far as what, we're, what we learned. I want to mention one last thing. Um, if you want to... This always happens at Sundays is we talk about films and then everyone says they're overrated or underrated or whatever is that one of the best articles to read this year is David Ehrlich wrote a piece about how he didn't buy into the Sundance hype, and then he finally did after being at Sundance this year. And it's a good piece just about how, like, what people say at Sundance, like, you should listen to them. If there's films they loved and they're talking about, like, go see those films. Give them a chance. There's something to them, even though we're in the middle of the festival. Like, listen to that. Listen to the buzz. Don't ignore it. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. Okay. Uh, all right, well let's uh, let's move on. Let's get let's quickly go through our sponsor real quick. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Why, Audible? Well, Why? Why? Because 
Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 player. Additionally, they're offering our listeners a free audiobook download of their choice and a three thirty day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. You can check out the book for free, download it, take it in, read it, enjoy it, read it, listen to it. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. You can also check out the service. If you don't like the service, you get to you get rid of it, but you get to keep that, that book that you download for free for free, so it'll be a winner. And read. Or listen at audibletrial.com. Slash out that podcast. All right. Enough of that. Let's get to our feedback. 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 This is where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash out now podcast. We asked you guys a number of questions and you guys gave us some answers. You also asked us some questions, so hopefully we'll be able to provide you some answers. And so let's go over some of this stuff here. These are all related to the, the film releases of this week. So first question is favorite romantic film involving teens, which is what Abe was supposed to read. So I'll let him go. <laughs> Steven writes, I just saw The Age of 17, loved it. Haley Stanfield is the best young actress working today. Justin writes, Sixteen Candles, Owen, Back to the Future. April has Ten Things I Hate About You. Philip has Whisper of the Heart. Chris has Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Ricardo says uh, what she said. Uh, he's agreeing with the uh, previous answer. Uh, Jason has Easy A. And Manish has Romeo plus Juliet. I'm glad we have correct titles on this. That's that's right. Yeah, it's not Romeo and Juliet. It's Romeo oh, plus Juliet. Um, let's see. Let's go to most outlandish horror movie concept. Chris writes, "That's a tough one." As a B movie horror, films are my fave, um, and lots of them are barking mad. Uh, Zombievers is interesting, but the most outlandish for me has to be Rubber, full on bonkers. <laughs> Ooh, and Blood Freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Blood Freak, watch that thanks to the Cavalcade crew, full on bonkers. I like the I like the repeated use of bonkers for one thing. <laughs> um, rubber is outlandish. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, Blood Freak, he's referring to the Cavalcade crew. That's a friend of the show, Brandon Peters, and his podcast, uh, Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Yeah. Um, so there. Uh, let's see. Darren writes the George Clooney classic, The Return of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> um, and he writes Lights Out is really out there, but it's so sincere about it. Uh, Jateman writes, Inside Scarlet, a rapey talking chicken doll impregnated a woman. Sounds sounds awful. Yeah, it sounds uh, terrible. Anna writes, Most terrifying movie, worse than The Exorcist. I guess she's referring to one of the other ones mentioned. Uh, Justin writes, Chucky. Philip writes, House from 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jason writes, David Pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> David as Pumpkins. Any questions? David, yeah, full name, please. David right. as that's a great skit. Uh, next question we asked everybody, what is your favorite film about comedians? Brad writes, the comedian from Watchmen. Got a solo film? Question mark. Uh, Winky face emoticon. Probably the documentary about the aristocrats joke is his real answer. Manisha has the kings of comedy. Uh, the king of comedy. The king of comedy, I'm sorry. Uh, the kings of comedy is, comedy is with Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Justin lastly writes, punchline. Uh, David Pumpkin himself. <laughs> and the next question uh, following that is, uh, what is your favorite recent uh, documentary that you might have seen or may have seen uh, that you enjoyed? Uh, Chris has Minimalism, Tales by Light. Looking forward to seeing it. Uh, looking forward to seeing I Am Not Your Negro. And lastly, Philip has Believe Land and This Magic Moment. I'm a big sports fan doc. Or a big I asked sports this doc fan. I asked this question because I Am Not Your Negro opened in select theaters today, and that's a very good documentary. It's certainly worth uh, checking yeah, that's out. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Oh. 
what if what if Tom Hanks was like, Lord Michaels, come here, we should make a David Pumpkins movie, and he like just went for it. And like, I'm all for it. Yeah. It, it would make be, so much money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it has to be written by the, uh, uh, MacGruber himself, uh, and then, you know, have the Lonely Island guys help out with it, and it'd just be great. Just involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> I would see it. I'd the David see. Pumpkins movie. Yeah. Yeah, they got my ticket, don't worry. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> Audience <laughs> award winner at Sundance next year. The last question. <laughs> the last question we asked: Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, this is obviously a dated question, but fortunately, only few people answered uh, with references to the actual game. Uh, Brad writes: Today, I pray for health, wisdom, and that the Falcons will eat the Patriots alive. Uh, assigned by future, future him. him. Yeah. Uh, Chris writes: Arsenal, Manchester United. Whoops, wrong game. <laughs> uh, Ricardo writes: The new twenty-four revival afterwards. <laughs> Jason writes the commercials. Uh, Nippon writes the Falconers. Uh, Manish writes Lady Gaga. And Jate Man writes Meryl Streep. So there you go. That's Always me. a safe answer to write Meryl Streep. <laughs> All right. Now we move into questions for everybody here on the panel today. Uh, Philip asks everybody here, uh, what do you think of neg- negative criticism when an animated movie could have been shot live action? Do you think an animated movie needs to somehow justify its medium? I love this question um, because I uh, have very strong feelings about this. Um, To go back to Sundance, there was a movie uh, that played there called Landline Mm -hmm. that took place in the 90s. And a lot of the criticism that I heard was like, why does this movie need to take place in the 90s? And I'm reminded of something that uh, I think Roger Ebert said. I'm paraphrasing the the quote, but you should be reviewing the movie you saw, not the movie you wish you saw. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't think there's um, any uh, value in pondering uh, or, or criticizing rather, there's always value in pondering everything. But in criticizing a, a movie um, for such a for, for such a a, a, a broad uh, uh, choice like that, that is actually part of what the movie is. I mean, right. that's it, it, it doesn't matter. It, the movie you saw is animated. Why are you wasting your time worrying about that? And Landline takes place in the '90s. Just get over it and watch the movie. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I feel very strongly about that. I'm glad you got that question. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, and I would agree I was with wondering, you. Is the question in regards to a specific film? Uh, I don't know. Phil didn't write, right, but... I'm curious what yeah. is being referred to. Yeah. One thing, I don't think I've heard of... I can't think of the last time I've heard of criticism involving why a, a movie that should have been shot live action instead of animated. I'm trying to think of that, if, that's, if I've ever yeah. heard that before. Phil, help us well, so, by clarifying. Why yeah, don't you say about King of the Hill, the TV show, sometimes? Because well, yeah. <laughs> so many, so many animated. Uh, just, there's so many live action ideas I have for King of the Hill right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry, we were saying Alex. Uh, I was just gonna say that so many of the animated like concepts are so crazy anyway that you couldn't do it live action. Like, like um, I don't want to say the Boss Baby, but um, what was the one you mentioned earlier? Storks. Storks. You can't do Storks live action. You know that's like a, it's ridiculous. So. We'll see someone prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Or, like, I mean, if you want, like, for the sake of discussion, like, Finding Dory, it's like, yeah, you could have lifelike fish animation, which is pretty much what it is, but, like, would that work? No, they need to talk. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird thought. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an event of the example that Philip might be thinking about, um, but nothing's really coming to mind. I'll have to ponder it some more. The line is kind of, is kind of blurring, you know, like, um, I, I sort of, chuckle every time someone refers to 
John Favreau's The Jungle Book from last year as the live action Jungle Book because so much of it is not yeah. live action. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's one thing that's live action. It's the kid. Everything the kid. else is like, yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's yeah, that that'll be interesting to to watch as things uh, like uh, uh, I kind of felt the same way about a, a Monster Calls. Like so, so much of that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it's a live action movie, but so much of what you're seeing is not uh, is not real, is not live action. Hmm. Um, the only uh, thing I, I think of is maybe like like scanner darkly or like rotoscoped films or something like that like that but I mean, there's a purpose to as you're saying david i mean that's the way it is for a reason like right. it's it's done that way because that's done that way so don't worry about it but, um... huh. yeah philip help us out anyway just curious yeah curious what you had in mind because that's yeah. it's an interesting question and I, I think i think david gave a, a great answer yeah, a great very response good, yeah. to, to what you're talking about but um Here's a here's another question, which I also think they have some strong views on. Uh, when do you think audiences are going to be bored of superhero movies? This is um, Simpson. Yeah. Um, 2013. <laughs> 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 Based so, on my experience. So, so. Well, I know I know you're more because they hire so many like talented individuals, where you just get concerned that well now they can't make something else that's better because they have to do this movie instead. I believe that's kind yeah, of your. I, that's a big thing for me. Like when when uh, filmmakers who, who was supposed to make the Black Panther movie, um, uh, Ava DuVernay. Right. Yes. When Ava DuVernay like dropped out of the Black Panther movie, like a lot of Marvel fans were like, oh bummer. And I was like, yes, now she gets to make an Ava DuVernay movie instead of a Marvel movie. I, I mean, I, I get what your logic is. I and certainly when it comes to some, certainly the I guess the I guess it applies to all of them. But like, there's you know a not necessarily a manufactured idea, although I think some people would say that, but like it, it comes off more of an assembly line as opposed to what the director's vision would be, or perhaps, or something like that. Um, so that it takes away from what that person's vision is by doing something that has to be kind of managed by all these other people also involved in a franchise or what have you. But at the same time, certain ones are able to stand out and I would think of something like, I don't know, Scott Derrickson's Doctor Strange as blah as the story might have been i thought his the the visual approach he took to that film felt unique to him in the same way certain other ones in the marvel universe have felt unique to like joe johnston with the first captain america it feels like a joe johnston movie yeah. but as far as seeing certain like certain indie filmmakers or smaller filmmakers having to you know go through that machine i can see where their voice gets kind of like lost in the shuffle um i am very curious what ryan coogler's sprint black panther will look like uh, but at the same time, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be something. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, I'm very. I mean, I have a lot of hopes for that movie just because of everybody that's involved in it. But um, as far as the question as a whole, when do you think audiences are going to be bored of superhero movies? Um, when you see dramatic downturns in the box office involving superhero movies, uh, <laughs> there are people I mean, that I'm... certainly there are people that certainly complain about you know saying you know fatigue with these movies, but. I'm not seeing anything changing as far as the results when it comes time for the box office, even for the ones that are you know terrible. Um, suicide Squad, uh, but I, I, I'm not not seeing too much change so far happen. I'm I won't well, be surprised when some when you know something does start to occur as far as a downswing, but so nothing dramatic has certainly happened so far. Yeah. But I, 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 to what extent are people going to see these movies because they're superhero movies, and what extent are they going to see them because they're the big blockbuster movies that are out now? You know, like I, I feel like, uh, you know. A movie is a movie in in, in in certain senses, you know, like people aren't uh, calling, you know, declaring the death of the superhero movie because Fantastic Four was a bomb. Um, but there's other, I mean, you look at ones that flop over the years, like Independence Day last year, you'd think that, I mean, given 
how certain movies play and whatnot. This is a big sci-fi spectacle that has recognizable people, if not giant stars in the same way of like Will Smith or someone like that. But like it, it's something that it's like it's just said like this is a blockbuster. You should see this, and it makes no money. I mean, there's there there's I guess that's, a, yeah. That's essentially the 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 point that I'm that I'm making is that some movies are successful and some movies uh, aren't. Um, but I I wonder if we as you know geekier type of movie fans if we're um thinking of these more as superhero movies like obviously people in our circles went to see suicide squad because they're into uh, you, you know uh they want to see more of the dc you know universe and they want to mm-hmm. they know these characters but like the movie was a huge you know was a success, success and i think most people went not because they're eager to see the next superhero movie the next comic book movie it was just a big movie that they wanted to see I think it plays to a broad audience because it has, I mean, it has Will Smith among others that are you know right. in this kind of movie, and it seems like some you know it's big and colorful and splashy fun based off these trailers. So by default they'll go see it because it's playing in every single theater and everyone's talking about it. I know I, I understand what you're saying as far as it's the it's they're seeing it because it's there essentially. Um, but I do think there's a point well, where you said it more you said it more cynically than I meant it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You, I mean, you said 2013 was your answer to the question. So I <laughs> that was just that was just for me. I understand, um, but I, I mean, there has to be a point where you have a number, and this has happened. I mean, we have a number of big stars involved in something that just doesn't connect with audiences, or doesn't make any money. I mean, it, the superhero kind of you know the flavoring of that so far is just it's it is working for a, a large group of people right now, and I can I can see that changing in a eventually or kind of, you know we're right in the middle it's hard to it's hard to kind of examine w- where it's headed when there's no no deviation in what the plan seems to be so far mm-hmm. i would i would have thought of all movies that would have indicated a change would have been suicide squad just cuz it's so bad and i would have thought like okay some people would have seen it and then had that discussion i guess there's also the this is what you guys have been saying but there's like the interest in you've got to see it yourself like even if people say this sucks it's like well i got to see it anyway well, it's because you look at something like Suicide Squad performed very well. I mean, regardless of how terrible that movie is, it did yeah, perform with something like Batman v Superman. That movie, I had a, I mean, it it opened large because there's a movie that has the words Batman and Superman in the same title. You're not going to miss that movie on the opening weekend, but it had a very big, regardless of the money it made. That's just ratios. It still had a very big downturn the following weekends because right, people right. were mouth spread about that movie. But there, I mean, and, and that's a movie where again you have big you have big name stars in there, along with you know the fact that again it has the words Batman and Superman in the same title. So I mean, it's it's naturally you would think that would make a ton of money, but it it didn't perform as well as one would expect a movie with Batman and Superman in the title to perform. So it, but you have so like Super Suicide Squad, where I guess the word of mouth had to be amazing about that movie. It boggles my mind as to why, but I mean that was the case. So it, it, it again, it's just it's it's something that's interesting to examine, but it's hard to kind of take away where the what the eventual downturns, what's gonna what's gonna cause people to want to you know turn differently because it yeah. this can't keep lasting. But I don't know. I also I also thought that the fatigue would really set in if there were too many movies, like if there were like fifteen superhero movies in a year. But even that doesn't change people's mind. I don't but know. I mean, they're rarely. I mean. The most there are, are like six, and it's usually like three big ones, and then three like somewhat more obscure ones. Like exactly. I mean, last year you had what Deadpool, uh, an X Men movie, 
Marvel, uh, Civil War, and then those two DC. That's five, and then what? Like Turtles. So that's six, and probably Turtles, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Okay, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Yeah. Okay, that's a that's getting up there. Smart, but I mean they're spread fairly far apart, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but of course, that's the kind of thing that takes up a conversation over, I don't know, the lobster. Like I mean, it's not gonna the the, the conversation is gonna go towards the very popular thing over the other thing, and that very popular thing's in theaters for multiple weeks at a time. So we'll see. I guess we'll see. We'll see. What yeah, we will see. I mean, this year again is gonna present a number of big ones as well. So we'll go from yeah, I'll be so curious. I'll be curious once the the what the the last Avengers or the 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 the, the, the series finale of this set of current Avengers the Infinity Wars movies when when part two comes out where things will be after that which is like twenty what twenty twenty one twenty twenty or twenty nineteen yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah we'll see yeah good question all right well that was enough feedback 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 Let's uh, dig into some. Uh, hey, what a what, 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 what time? What I time? think it might be time for a very cool game. One second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, the song that played during uh, Split at the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. Yep. <laughs> um. That was, of course, the improv theme for games, and this week's game, I didn't have a title for. I just, I, I felt like it's, but I'll call it the super fun, the super fun football podcast game. Let's go with that. Okay. All right. It's a collaborative game. It's a short one. All right. Um, basically, the three of you need to come up with what you think are the top five highest domestic grossing football movies of all time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Starting with... What do you think are the top five highest grossing domestic football? Can we just name them and then you'll you'll say the order? Go for it. Are we, are we adjusting Planet for inflation? Lights. No inflation adjustments, no. Okay. Uh, number one. Remember the Titans? Yeah. Yeah. Remember okay. Remember the Titans is in there. That is number four. Okay. Number four. All right. Uh, I said Friday Night Lights. Did you get that one? Friday Night Lights is not in the top five. Right. What? Okay. Um... I'll say uh, any given Sunday. Any given Sunday is number five. Oh, okay, all right. So we got seventy-five million. Remember the Titans was... fifteen million. What was the one with um, Sandra Bullock a couple years ago? Oh, the Blind Side. The Blind yeah, Side's blind... number one with two hundred fifty-five yeah. million dollars. Right. <laughs> Other football movies. Um, hmm. Yeah, wasn't there one with The Rock a couple years ago? The Gridiron Game made no money. That's that was one of the, that was one of the lowest actually of all football movies. Uh, what's the what's the one with Adam Chandler remade and they're in prison? The Longest Yard. The Longest Yard. The Longest Yard is number three, 158. Wow. Million. Is it the the original one or the remake? The remake. Okay. Yes. The Burt, the Burt Reynolds movie did I mean, not. I don't know. People love Burt Reynolds. I was also thinking the other Adam Sandler one, uh, The Waterboy, is that? Waterboy is number two. Boom! We did it! Whoa. Yes, Adam, Adam Sandler has back-to-back football movies that are We wrong. did it. it I have to assume... Uh, the Titan that is Adam Sandler in football. I have to assume number six is MASH. <laughs> <laughs> I think number six actually is Friday Night Lights, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, but yeah, you guys did it. That, <laughs> that, was, was, good. that was a cool, fun game. Pretty, pretty efficient. Yeah, though. it was, was efficient. Uh, yeah, let me see. I, let I me run down... I got the I got these again here. Let's see. Yeah, number six is Friday Night Lights. Number seven is Invincible, with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. There's a character named Vince. Yeah, he plays he, <laughs> he plays he plays Vince Bull. I mean, it was a Disney yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, number eight is I Don't Want Your Life, Varsity Blues. Uh, no. Number nine is It's Radio. 
And, Radio uh, is number nine? Number nine, yeah. Wow. And number ten is The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. That's a fun movie. Yep. Yeah. It's always on TNT. It or, is. It's a fun one to watch. Yeah. You know, I was wrong. Uh, Gridiron Gang with The Rock is actually number 13. There's another movie that has Gridiron in the title that I saw at the end, and I kind of assumed it was that movie. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's less movie than funny than I thought. <laughs> uh, fun fact, Airbud Golden Receiver, number 30. Okay, moving on. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get away from that. Let's start wrapping things up here. Uh, let's sure. do some Out Now Potential Chat Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. And uh, first up is Trolls Party Edition. Oh, they have a party edition. It's not like a director's cut. It's a party edition. I assume it's the same. One of the same. <laughs> uh, let's see. Justice League Dark, the uh, newest Warner Brothers animated film uh, from their animated years. I, I, I'm, I'm glad they finally solved the problem of what the Justice League could use more of, by the way. Darkness. That's uh, <laughs> finally, uh, <laughs> finally handled that problem. Um, let's see. Loving, the uh, Jeff Nichols film. Not on Blu-ray this week. Um... Deserto, this is the film from um, what's his name, Alfonso Cuarón's son. Um, yeah, Jonas or Jonas Cuarón or yeah, okay, Something like that. And let's see next up, The Take, formerly known as Bastille Day, with uh, Idris Elba. Huh. It's a, a Luc Besson action movie. I produced action movie. Um, the Eagle Huntress. So one of the documentaries that came out good. last year. Yeah. Um, American Pastoral. The uh, Ewan McGregor directorial debut, which I heard was terrible. Um, Camera Person. This is a documentary I've heard nothing but great things about, which actually is on Criterion release this week. It was uh, out last year in a lot of, a lot of uh, critics' top ten lists. Uh, Quantum Leap, the complete series. Oh, wow. I know, guys. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> People love that spot. Uh, Scott Bakula. Yep. Uh, Dirty Dancing 30th Anniversary Edition. No response for that? Okay. No. Uh, I remember in high school, I bought the VHS of the 10th anniversary edition for my <laughs> then-girlfriend for, uh, yeah. I don't know, Valentine's Day or something. So, uh, yeah, it's been 20 years. <laughs> uh, what's Hey, Dreadful, the complete series. Heard it's a good show. Uh, Vice Principal, season one. Eh, heard mixed bag. I think it's, it's not as good as Eastbound and Down, but it's a... Uh, it's pretty funny. It's got okay. it's got some good moments for sure. It's certainly worth watching. If you're a fan of Eastbound and Down, there's no reason not to watch Vice Prince. That's true. Um, and lastly, guess who's coming to dinner? 50th anniversary edition on a Blu-ray this week. What was the uh, remake called? Guess who? Guess With who? Ashley okay. Kutcher and Bernie yeah. Mac. Right, Mr. 3000 himself. Guys, they swapped the races. Oh, the what? Races. That's crazy. Yes, Ashton Kutcher was in blackface. Bernie, no, Bernie Mac was in whiteface, like in like in Atlanta. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see here. We, next up, extremely cool. These are movies that are now on Netflix that I can recommend in some way. Uh, first up, coming on the seventh is Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day Special. It's from um, Scott Ackerman, uh, Comedy oh, Bang yeah. fame, Comedy and. Bang, uh, yeah. And um, I believe it's either Yorma Tacone or Akiva Schaefer, one of the Lonely Island guys. They co-directed this giant, like, fake special type thing with Michael Bolton singing songs along with a lot of other, like, uh, big comedians uh, involved in it, um, which just inherently sounds funny. So, uh, But I'm aware that he does also does a lot of, like, live performances or whatnot. In it, so, uh, <laughs> curious. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, Imperial Dreams? This is a film with John Boyega. 
and I believe it was at like a couple years ago or something like that. And it's now making its like Netflix debut. Did anyone see this? Alex, did you see this movie? No, I didn't actually. It looks good. I mean, I saw the trailer. It looked pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. once again John Boyega not using his English accent. So that's uh, okay. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see him actually use that again. But <laughs> I have this weird pet peeve for like Sundance movies that take two to three years to come out because it's uh-huh. like uh, it takes so long. I mean, it's, and the funny thing is they're usually really good. It's just like annoying that it takes so long for it to come out. Yeah. And uh, last thing uh, here is Santa Rita Diet. This is the new comedy series with Timothy Oliphant and Drew Barrymore where Drew Barrymore dies and becomes a zombie, but, like, still is, has her basic consciousness. He's not, like, a mindless zombie. Um, has a kind of a weeds vibe going on, except, you know, instead of drugs, it's zombies. So, uh, right. I like Timothy <laughs> Oliphant. I like Timothy Oliphantastic. So, uh, well, uh, I'll be curious. I like, uh, I like the gross billboards that are all over Los Angeles. I don't know if you guys have seen those. I haven't, but I'm sure they're uh, pretty cool. There's, like, there's one that like it, it looks like a burger, except it has a human heart instead of a patty. Um, <laughs> there's a thing that looks like it looks like a, like a thing of French fries, except there's fingers sticking out of it. Mm. And there's one that looks like, uh, like a foil-wrapped uh, burrito, but really it's a forearm with a hand coming out the top. Mm. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> And Alex was worried about Berlin being scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm never coming to L.A. (laughs) So that's extremely cool. Let's talk about next week. Next week's show. Next week, I know we have a double header. We have John Wick Chapter 2 and the Lego Batman movie. Lots of of good stuff We might even uh, throw in Fifty Shades of Darker just for the heck of it. No, No, we got got these. We're good. Yeah. and I know I already know the guest too. We're gonna have Alan Aguilera is gonna be on. He's incredibly excited he's, for John. He's Wick. been doing a huge countdown on Instagram. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Professor Mike Dillon's gonna be back on the show as well. Uh, both for excited for John Wick for sure, and the Lego Batman movie is uh, one to look for as well. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's the plan for next week's show. Um, last thing we do here: what should people go and see in theaters right now, and what do you plan to see next? Alex Billington, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Uh, now you have to wait a second because I have to find out what's even playing in theaters. Uh, <laughs> all the Academy Award nominated movies are out yeah, again. Yeah. And... I would mention Jackie. Okay. I think it's playing right yeah. now. Um, but also because, Aaron, I think you mentioned this earlier, but uh, The Red Turtle, I think, yeah. is now playing. And um, that's a really good, strong suggestion for like something that's very unique in what it tries to do, and it's very beautiful. Not to, not. I'm not saying this just because I'm quoted in the trailer like three times, but uh, <laughs> I am. but it's also no, it's also a beautiful, beautiful film. What What are you gonna see next? Oof. I think I'm seeing John Wick tomorrow morning, so awesome. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. David, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, if you're lucky enough to live in one of the places it's it's playing, I'm gonna recommend uh, a, a documentary called They Call Us Monsters. Um, oh which is uh, about uh, teenagers, juveniles who have been tried and convicted as adults in mm. the um, in, in the prison system. And the, and the, and the premise here is uh, that, uh, I guess, there was a program where a, a screenwriter taught screenwriting classes to some uh, of these of these kids, and they built a short, you know, uh, screenplay out of their story, and then the, the guy went and directed it. So you see them, you know, you learn about their, uh, their lives, their sentences their pasts and and then we get to see them sort of channel it into into you know this art and narrative and and, and writing um 
and it is you know it's heavy uh in in a lot of ways um uh, because of the subject matter, but it's also a surprisingly like humanistically funny movie because it's like really just you know you see these kids like get into this classroom setting and turn into kids again and they're just like mm. busting each other's balls and, and being like uh, teenage boys um, and uh, some of them are incredibly charismatic people and it's all the you know all the sadder that they've um, that they're going to be in prison for for so long in some right. cases for the rest of their lives um, for things they did uh, as juveniles. Hmm. All right. What was that one called again? They Call Us Monsters? They Call Us Monsters, yeah. Okay. What are you seeing next? Um, this week I have a screening of uh, a, a German movie called 13 Minutes, which is from director Oliver Hirschbiegel, who is known for uh, Downfall. Downfall. Uh, mm-hmm. probably his big... And also... Um, invasion. Yeah, he was <laughs> infamous for uh, in, Invasion, or for directing it, or at least directing most of it, before Until, they replaced yeah. him and uh, did extensive reshoots with uh, another director. Um, the Wachowskis, I believe, actually. Uh, no, it was the um, the guy who did V for Vendetta. So the, oh, the Wachowskis, James McTeague. Yeah, yeah, it was him. So the Wachowskis guy. Um, okay. So uh, this movie is called uh, Thirteen Minutes, and it's um, based on a true story of um, uh, an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler in 1939, um, and, and it's about the guy who who tried to do that. Huh. Uh, a different uh, one from the Valkyrie one. Yes, this yeah. is different from from Valkyrie. Uh, yeah, that Hitler was not a popular guy. <laughs> this is a true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm seeing that I'm seeing that this week. Cool. All right. I've seen the I've seen the film. I'm actually a very big fan, and I'm curious to hear what you think. Ah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't even come out until, uh, or at least here it doesn't come out until March 17th. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw it two years ago. Yeah. You said two years ago? Yeah, it premiered oh, wow. at, at the Berlin Film Festival in 2015. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Two years ago. Oof. Abe, what should people see? Uh, they should go and see uh, Monster Trucks, because that's a, a, a comedy smash hit. Uh, I'm just kidding. There's not a whole lot that's, that's good out right now. But I guess anything that you've missed from award season... Uh, I do echo Jackie, which I thought was going to have a stronger presence, um, but uh, unfortunately, I don't. I haven't really been hearing that much buzz about it. Uh, in any case, what am I going to see next? John Wick 2. I'm really excited for it. I hope that it doesn't disappoint. Uh, and obviously, the Batman movie, Lego Batman movie. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I would echo the kind of you know Oscars in general. I would say I know Lion spread a lot, and I really like Lion I've quite heard, a bit. I've, yeah, that, I haven't seen out. it, but I. My friend also recommended it very highly to me. I would. I mean, I generally recommend seeing the best picture nominees just to you know have those done. <laughs> right. But um, yes, I, that's it's one that you know it spread to a couple hundred more theaters this week, and it actually got an, an upsurge in its box office. But uh, yeah, that's one that I, I continue to recommend. And if you can find, I'm not your Negro. Good documentary. Good one to see. And uh, yeah, next time I'm seeing John Wick. John Wick too. So that's that's cool. what's happening. All right, that all that said, let's, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. You can also find me writing uh, over at ysablu.com with Blu-ray reviews, and you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more of Aaron's work over at thecodezeek.com. You can also find, uh, I guess, three pull quotes from Alex Billington from the Red Turtle <laughs> uh, trailer. Uh, and then you can also find me at Instagram, oakleydoakley, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag, uh, I don't know. Hashtag, yeah, sure. Spit it out. There it, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Alex Billington, where can people find more of your work online? Um, as usual, at firstshowing.net and at firstshowing on Twitter. All right. David Bax, where can people find more of your work? Uh, BattleshipPretension.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. All right. Awesome. Well, Alex and David, thank you uh, guys for joining us this week. Yeah. Thank good. you for having us. Yeah, thanks, man. For sure. And um, I, I ran through this because it's a different episode. Um, you can find all the other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, as well as an audio boom. You can also listen to us over at uh, HTMLD, SoundCloud, and Podomatic. Email us your thoughts on anything we talked about this week at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Philip, clarify your question over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet us at twitter.com slash outnowpodcast. And, of course, pl- send us plenty of uh, people playing in the snow gifts over at outnowpodcast.com. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, again... Oh, I know the hashtag is. is. Uh, oh, yeah? Hashtag, it's okay, Berlin is safe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks again, you guys, for joining thanks us. Thanks again. About Sundance and everything. I thought that was really cool. That was great. Uh, get all the info there. And uh, thank you, listeners, of course, for listening to our show and our guests ramble on about Sundance. And um, yeah, that's uh, going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress She's heading west from far away, stays for a day, never a frown with golden brown. And my first thought was this is going to scare people from wanting to visit Berlin, especially women. Because as beautiful as it is about Berlin, it's just like, oh, my God, I would never want to go there. I wouldn't want to meet a guy. You're going to get locked in a freaking place. <laughs> His um, name could be Alex Billington. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't worry.